Anyway, so yes, so that's 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 my that's my mental state, Graham McMillan. That's me. So. Well, that's that's. Oh, I'm never going to make it worse by talking about Fantastic Four comics. <laughs> and really bad ones. Oh man, you know, I I'm fascinated because I spent a lot of time trying to figure out, kind of like, why don't I, kind of like. Why don't I like these? Because um, they're terrible. Like that's enough. Well, you know. Okay, but see, but again, this is this weird thing of at there's one or two points where I'm like, oh, okay, this more or less feels wrapped up. Like honestly, after like the ex- <laughs> wrapped up. I know. <laughs> well, see, that's it. I totally feel like an idiot because at one point I'm like, well, we now we now we know who the Dark Rider is. Shoo, that's resolved. Okay, the whole thing with Johnny and Elijah and that fucking egg, that's done, and ah, they've gone their separate ways. And then the next issue, I'm like, what the fuck? So, yeah, so why have you not gone your separate ways? Exactly. Like you should have. Exactly. Yeah. No, no, I know, I know, I know. But that, but also then you get like things where they quote unquote do wrap things up, and it's just bullshit. Like well, the malice, the end of the malice thing is insane. Is that supposed to be the end of it? Because I'm like, yes, I think it is. If... I, I could be wrong. Maybe if... it comes back. Because here's the thing. Do you remember like way way back when I was like I read like a chunk of the the Defalco Ryan stuff? Yes. I this the, like we reached the end. I gave up mm. before these last issues. Ah. I gave up around the point of the um, the bit where they relive like FF, the Galactus Saga. What the fuck were they thinking on that one right? too? Yeah, oh there's so there's so much there's so much. I I will say this though, uh, three ninety two is called the final gantlet, mm-hmm. which you may or may not have noticed, which uh, I thought was a typo, and turns out is an alternate spelling of gauntlet. Oh, well, I did not realize that. I looked it up. I was like, maybe it means something else. Maybe it's not a typo. I'm going to give him. A, I'm going to give Tom DeFalco the benefit of the doubt. And I should have. Apparently, it's a it's a recognized alternate spelling. Huh. Well, there you have it. See the things that we actually do learn on this. <laughs> like I, I slept poorly, and I, I read these like in the middle of the night, basically. Mm, God. And I was like, these these don't make sense. Mm-hmm. Like that. This is this is terrible. Mm-hmm. And so like. You know, in the cold light of day, I reread them, and I was like, "Oh no, they are terrible." <laughs> it's not just because it was the middle of the night. Because I, I had that thing of like, I can't, like, I must be misreading. Right. Like, I, I must be getting this wrong. There's no way yeah. that this could be the thing. And no, that's one hundred percent the thing. And it was, it was genuinely shocking. I, I, I think that it's amazing the because there is an idea that a careful. Um, diligent creative team working on a creative project will make the audience like I guess better readers you know what I mean like I haven't really I haven't really thought externalized or vocalized that thought but I do believe there's something to the idea of being exposed to good art makes you a better uh, reader of art you know I would like to believe that's the case I found myself wondering the extent to which the inverse was true and (laughs) that I was trained to be a a shitty Fantastic Four reader by about 
two thirds of the way through these issues because there's there's a point where Sue Storm points out this enormous plot hole that's dangling right in front of your nose during the whole Watcher storyline after it gets resolved. And she's like, wait a minute. And I was like, oh, why didn't that fucking occur to me? I can't believe it that I wasn't paying enough attention. I mean, it really is like, you know, underscored throughout at every possible point. And I still find myself... But at the time, I was like, yeah, but it was like, who cares, really? I just assumed they were But that, that's attention. just it. You, are, you really do just get to the point of like, is this intentional? Right. Like, is this, is this thing makes no sense intentional, or is it really just because it's shitty? Because so much of it is just shitty. Like, well, it's not it. intentional. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think... And you're really just like, you know, do I even care? Is it, that's, that's the problem. You get to the point of like, does it matter? Yeah. And I feel like at a certain point, I just turned off my brain, and I'm just reading these comics, and I'm kind of like, uh... So, in again... In some weird ways, I found stuff in here that I liked, right? Question mark. Oh, God, oh, God bless you. Well, I mean, it's very right. small, slight things, and maybe you will feel the different when we get to them. You'll be like, no, that's a shit idea. Hello, whatnots. Welcome to Baxter Building, episode 47, in which myself, Graham McMillan, and my esteemed and exhausted co-host... <laughs> Jeff Lester. That was so fight, accurate, Graham. <laughs> fight our way through the Tom DeMalco and Paul Ryan run of Fantastic Four. We've been doing the rest of the series, and, like, I thought it got bad when it was, like, you know, the Roy Thomas, Rich Buckler issues. Mm -hmm. I had no idea, Jeff. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Because we are now... I mean, how many episodes have we been doing the Tom DeFalco Paul Ryan run? Oh God, it just feels I, like forever. Yeah, yeah. This will be the sixth episode. Wow. That we've been doing these, and the, not only are they not getting better, they're getting worse. Yes. And I think they're killing our brain. <laughs> there, there's no other way to put this. Yeah. yeah. These are. Dire, dire comics to the point where at one point in this, I got excited and possibly the most excited I got reading these issues. Why? Because I was like, oh, it's the origins of Fantastic Force. That <laughs> is a sign of how bad these issues are. Uh, oh, is that who the Fantastic Force is? That yes, makes sense. Yes, because yes. uh. there's, there's a, po a point like in these issues where you're like, who the fuck are these characters and why should we care? Yes. Yes. Right? Yeah. That is not subtle in the slightest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, that's Fantastic Force. Oh. But but yeah, it's um, these are bad comics, Jeff. Like, and in the past, you have been standing up for them, God knows why. <laughs> and then we go through them issue by issue, and you're like, yeah, you're right, they're shit. Yes. And you were just saying there, like, you know, I found things I like, whatnot. This is going to be the episode where Jeff hopefully gets disillusioned very quickly. <laughs> and, and we don't even have to pretend that these are anything other than dire. Yes. I mean, we certainly can. We, we And we, we believe me, we shall whatnots. But A, 
it says a lot about how lowered my standards were that I was like, oh, that particular storyline is actually over. Like, you know, it didn't make any sense. It got dragged out beyond every rational thing, but it's over. And there were a few points where characters made decisions where I was like, that kind of makes sense. Even the most easily, what I would say is the worst decision in that any writer uh, slash creative team has ever made on the Fantastic Four to date. I I kind of had that thing. Oh, like, oh, what, oh. What, uh, will you point that out when we get there? Because I things are so bad, I honestly can't tell what you're talking about. <laughs> I, that's not sarcasm. No, no, I totally. I, I can't get it. think what one thing in this you think is a single worst decision made by any writer or artist in Fantastic Four. Okay, and I'm super curious. Well, I will. I will give you. I'll give you a hint, Graham. It is because we're reading issues three ninety to three ninety six. We're reading issues three eighty nine to three ninety six. Oh, okay. Did we not do? We didn't do three eighty nine last time. Okay, thank we God. Because I uh, okay. Because I actually thought that we had read it i guess i overshot the boundaries and then when we started reading i'm like oh shit i had no idea where we were starting to get oh that i couldn't remember what happened in 389 so i've actually read this godforsaken thing like three times four <laughs> times now i and godforsaken is a really good way of putting it mm -hmm. 389 through 396 should we just go straight into 389 yeah definitely 389 is called behold a fatal future and it is Jeff. Uh, <laughs> friends, if you've ever thought to yourself, you know what I really want? I want to see a Fantastic Four comic where they keep bringing in the Watcher trying to say, like, big things are happening. Big things are literally around the corner. Big things are happening. Big things are happening. Oh, boy, big things are happening. And then completely forgets to do big things, but do, like, small and dumb things. Yeah. And then Watcher show up being like, well, how'd you like that big thing? <laughs> this is the comic for you. All that you really, really, really... In fact, no, let's go through with this. I was going to say, all you really need to know is, but no, let's go through this yeah. in, in, a, in a, a reasonable... Um, yep. Yet quick clip. It opens with the Watcher going, I'm the Watcher. Remember, I show up when important things happen. Let me look at my big TV. Oh, it's people analyzing the implants from Lysia when she gave birth. And random janitor was like, oh, what's that? An implant? Look, there's a button. What happens if I press the button? And then there's an explosion. And the, cuts back to the watcher, and the watcher says, "My task is near. My task is merely to watch. I'm forbidden to interfere with other races." That's a fucking lie, watcher. <laughs> like nobody believes that anymore. He even says, "I fear the time has finally come to me to repudiate my sacred oath and take an active role, like you do every single story that's not a what if. <laughs> every single story that isn't a what if, watcher." Please <laughs> repudiate your sacred oath everyone mm -hmm. every single one cut to the four freedoms plaza where the fantastic four are being presented with what looks like a bust of the thing but get this it can't be a bust of the thing because it was found in an archaeological expedition in the jungles of brazil what's up oh we may never know spoilers we'll kind of know but 
makes no fucking sense. As they decide, maybe we'll investigate the military who are handing it over, say, maybe your husband can look at it, Mrs. Richards. And she's like, my husband is missing, presumed dead, and walks off, leading to Namer, who is hanging around, showing off his turtleneck and ponytail combo. The 90s were an amazing time. Uh, to fight with Ben Grimm. Ben is very upset. But that's okay. You know who else is upset? Johnny and Liger, who are talking about just life. Johnny's like, why, why am I even still in this team? Like, everything's gone wrong. I'm going to leave. I'm going to think about things. I have made a decision, the most painful one of all, he says, and flies off because he says, I'll explain exactly what I mean when I catch up to you later. I've got to go check in Scott Lang now <laughs> because that's how people that's how people act. Mm-hmm. I've made a decision. It's the most important one ever, but I've got to do this minor thing. I'll tell you later. <laughs> he checks in on Scott as Scott is on the phone with his daughter every time they mention Doctor I'm like oh it's the girl from Young Avengers but she's meant to be like five years old or something in this cut to it's Franklin he's got a time sled because of course he does he's met with Huntara they are both in the the realms of weirdness and what they're like what's going on and Franklin's like I've met the Dark Raider he is the evil one I am hunting after he killed an alternate version of my father he's just killing Reed Richards all across the multiverse we will have to take him on together and Huntara says okay and by the way Somehow I am seven times your size in the final panel of page 11. <laughs> did, did you see that? Yes. Like, Hunter has been slightly larger, but she, like, she is holding a Franklin doll in that final panel. <laughs> it's super, super strange. Got back to Warfield and Plaza, where the chronometer has finally located the time sled. And they're like, we're gonna, we're gonna go and find it. And Johnny's like, he's had enough, as he says, which I love. I love that he's like, yep, fuck it. I've done fantastic fouring for you know whatever thirty-five years at this point, but it's over. Things, shit is serious, which is his new thing now. Like Reed is dead, and he's like, oh, maybe maybe people are going to die because. I guess that might never have occurred to him before. I don't know how to take this plot, Jeff, yeah. is what I'm saying. Yep. Like, on one hand, it kind of makes sense. On the other hand, it's done so poorly. Yeah. Especially given what happens later on in these issues. Mm-hmm. Like, Ring's entirely false. Mm-hmm. But I kind of want to give them credit for it anyway. Mm-hmm. As Johnny and Lija are, are talking in Four Freedom Plaza after the rest have left, there's a power cut just as the janitor from before has shown up. What are the odds? who even fucking knows what are also the odds the power cut is because the collector has shown up to steal the egg oh my god johnny's son Elijah's son i say son egg daughter like we don't know for some reason i went to son i am incredibly a heteronormative and b patriarchal i apologize to all our listeners the collector showed up with an amazing new hairstyle what the fuck was that oh my god I'm so gl- I've never been so glad for characters who announce their own names when they show up in a Marvel comic sure, before. He looks, he looks nothing like the collector. Yeah, exactly. At all. I, but I do love it. All of a sudden, he's like, I've gone punk. <laughs> totally. Uh, I've, I've got really bad acne, and I've gone punk. <laughs> uh, but I've come to steal the egg, is yeah. basically what it says. Johnny's like, you're not going to steal that egg, 
my child's in there. And as Lysa's about to fight back against the Valerian Force Shield and Draconian Destructoid that the Collector literally... I was going to say pulls out of his ass. Pulls out of his cape. I mean, let, let's be His cape ass. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, it turns out Lysa has no powers anymore. Do you know why? We'll find out later. Cuts to, I guess, the new Fantastic Four, who is Sue, Ben, Scott Lang as Ant-Man, and Namor. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, they have have stepped through the time platform to where they're, they're being guided to try and find Franklin. But there's no Franklin. But you know what there is? The remains of the Four Freedoms Plaza. What's going on? Why are there, like, weird, almost Cro-Magnons attacking them? Who can even tell? But it's time to fight back. Talking about fighting back in Four Freedoms Plaza in today's world, uh, Collector is there. Because, again, you can't have a fight scene which isn't interrupted by another fight scene. Just the hallmark of this run. Mm-hmm. There's more things going on. There's, there's a whole fight. And the Collector goes, change your mind. Don't want the egg. Sorry, everyone. But only after the janitor shown up and he has the laser fist. Dun dun dun! Yep. Call the play torch. I'll do what I can. He says, "He's he's terrible. He's <laughs> I I don't like him at all." Even after he says that exciting line, we then cut back to the future where the the new Fantastic Four are hiding in the Four Freedoms Plaza. Who do they find? They find the Watcher because, of course, they find the Watcher. Watcher, what's going on? Who knows? Because we're back in the present day where the new Laser Fist, Lysha, not a Laser Fist anymore, and the Human Torch are basically fighting against the Collector who's like, nope. Don't want the egg anymore. It's not valuable. Fuck y'all. I'm teleporting out of here. And Lysha goes, the egg. The egg is not yours. It's not your baby to be continued. Yeah. Bum, yep. Bum, bum. That's that's a, definitely a comic that happened. <laughs> Here's the thing. So much happens. Mm-hmm. It's very much the none of it means anything. Mm-hmm. Because you have your, I mean, what is the A plot in this comic? Is it, I guess, the Collector and the Human Torch and Elijah? Because, because initially I was thinking, oh no, it's it's the mm-hmm. the they go to the future and they, they find the remains of the the Four Freedoms Plaza and then the Watchers in there. But that literally goes nowhere. Yeah, it goes you nowhere. Know, the, this issue, yeah, the exactly. Thing comes to any resolution is the Human Torch and Elijah. Mm-hmm. But even then, it, like the resolution is the Collector leaves. And Elijah goes, oh, it's not your, it's not your baby. Well, the it's end. not your baby, which is, which is in theory a pretty big. This is the thing that she's been trying to tell Johnny for, uh, you know, like probably a year's worth of comics, if not more. It was hinted at uh, probably about a year ago because you remember, or maybe you don't. Pybok made some comment about ah, Elijah is being super deceptive, mm-hmm. you know. And and she is doing her her best game or whatever the fuck he said, <laughs> and I'm guessing that's what this is referring to. Well, see, because you remember at the time we were both like, well, that like she he's referring to nothing, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. But I guess he's referring to this. I mean, that's being very generous. Yeah. Oh that, yeah. That right. It's basically being like, oh, I'm sure they had a plan. Oh, which you know. Yeah, I mean, uh, this is actually a prime example of this. Is the whole thing where she wants the Lacusa or whatever has a similar Pybok being like, ah, Lysha's three steps ahead. And well, that I guess that's that's what I, exactly what I'm referring to. Yeah, like he was like, ah, she is very cunning. Right. And I, I, 
I'm guessing that it was referring to that ultimately, like, the baby would be born and the baby would be revealed not to be Johnny's and that would hurt him. Uh, but again, you know, that's crediting everyone, specifically the writers of this comic, <laughs> with more credit than they deserve, I think. Well, and again, we may we might be at opposite ends. The way I always took it was at a, because of the Lacusa uh, and she turns into a liquid state, there's that implant that drops out from her, which is the implant that Rafael Suarez, janitor slash electrical engineering student at Empire State University. I, uh, it's so great. That's so great. I love that he's like, hey, scientists, you don't know what to do with this alien implant. What if I just press this button? And they let him. Yes. Yeah. Just the whole idea that they're like. Um, janitor, you know, what, what do you think? Yeah. Do you want to take a look? It, it, the, one of the doctors literally says, perhaps, but I don't see any harm in allowing Mr. Suarez a quick look. And I'm like, are you fucking joking? Like, who would think like that? And then on top of it, the what, guy's what, like, what, he's what, showing what, how, how, how like cutting edge an engineer he is where he's like, oh, here's a button. I'm going to fucking push it. Like, are you kidding me? What you know. scientist is going to be like, this is a dangerous artifact. Hey, let the janitor take a look. What harm can it do? Yeah. All the harm. He's... Literally all the harm. Yeah. And then on the, it literally two pounds later, he's like, oh, here's a button. I'll push it. Why would you do that? Like, and then, and then I, so the thing that I find fascinating is, is that one would, I had sort of assumed that the implant was some sort of either tracking device or fail-safe device by which Payback could control Lija. And in her, you know, super, you know, three steps ahead kind of thing, the whole point of using the, the Lacusa was to get the egg out of her, but it was also so that the implant would drop out and that she would be free of him. The weird part about this is that assuming that she that's not the case that's not the case at all because <laughs> Lija is now completely surprised that she no longer has powers despite maneuvering this whole situation into place and it turns out the implant does nothing other so far as we can tell so far other it than give her powers yeah. which then later totally gets contradicted more or less by her story that she tells Johnny in the next issue about how she more or less regained her powers in which case the in in which in her presentation she's exposed to a whole bunch of cosmic rays to give her powers as happened with Paybach and it had nothing to do with the implant at all so honestly it's it's okay I will run very quickly through here and mention a couple of the things. I am amazed at how much Rafael Suarez is. I honestly thought that this was a real person that Tom DeFalco knew who was dying and whose last <laughs> wish was to be it's written like a into a fantastic four. Yes, it totally seemed like it was kind of like, what what do you want before you die? And he's like, uh, honestly, I think I would like to have a comic book uh, that I appear in, which I kill Wolverine. Yeah, it's not going to happen. How about we give you some powers and you show up in the FF? He's like, sure, why not? I'm dying anyway. <laughs> so Maybe I'll be dead before I happen. Exactly. I won't have to read my own appearance. Like, I just kind of assumed that was the case. Because not only does Raphael show, not only is everything about him, like the, we have given him absolutely no thought whatsoever, but when he does show up, like, it's, it's, um, it's pretty it, Mary it, it's Sue-ish. Amazing. 
you know. But also, it's amazingly underwhelming. Oh yeah. Like you know, at the with the best will in the world, let's mm-hmm. say that DeFalco and Ryan were trying to get that old Marvel magic, right? And they fail entirely. Yeah. He is such an underwhelming character, yeah. and when he shows up. He, it's not even like he actually does anything. Mm-hmm. Like he shoots something to no end whatsoever. Yeah. Like yeah. he doesn't affect the outcome of the story at all. No. Well, but he sort of shows up and he starts slinging stuff and you're like, right. In part because he's not doing anything. I'm like, okay, so he's here for some other reason or some bigger blah, blah, blah. The other thing that's amazing. And again, part of the reason why I was like, this is a real person who will probably be dying soon is that, that, Rafael Suarez, unlike every single character that's probably appeared in Marvel Comics whatsoever, has no kind of backstory of any form. Like, his backstory is literally <laughs> studied electrical engineering. Like, like you mentioned Scott, Scott Lang talking to Cassie on the phone, and I think that's kind of a perfect example. Even a character that sort of started off, admittedly, you know, Michelini wanted to relaunch the character, but... You know, Scott Lang has, like, his past as an ex-con. He's got his daughter. He's a solo dad. All those little things are in place that kind of give you, like, a hook. He's even got these things of, like, I don't... The classic Marvel, I don't know if I should do this because. You know what I mean? Like, every mm-hmm. character has that. And Rafael Suarez has does not at any point. Yeah, I, I, in the slightest. He yeah. doesn't have the, maybe I shouldn't press this button on this alien artifact. Right. He he's, doesn't he's even have that. Like, I'll do that. I'll blow up. Everything will be fine. I'll show up to Fantastic Four. I'll immediately get in the middle of a fight and everything's fine. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's no downsides to him. It's, it's such a weird, it's, you know, classically DC character, you yeah, know? Actually. Yeah. Kind of. He's, he is, he's kind of that Silver Age janitor Who's like, hey, I'm also an electrical engineer. I'm going to push the strange device on an alien. Ah, now I have the powers of the laser fist. And, you know, like on page eight, it's like, oh, there's a problem. You call the play, Torch. I'm going to help out. And and it's just like the Torch. I mean, the thing that is kind of a shame that some of this stuff is spread out is the Torch's later reaction to this guy in the next issue is, is I think, um, somewhat like not as good as it could be and which is to say it's still terrible but i do love the fact that like when the smoke clears like johnny storm is like who the fuck are you get the hell out of here stop talking to us you know which is pretty funny i also have to admit that i think that it's kind of hilarious that you have the if it wasn't for the few pages with Raphael's dramatic origin it more or less starts as a almost a classic ff story opener of like here's a mysterious statue from the Andes that appears was you know thousands of years old and yet it's Ben Grimm how are we going to resolve this mystery and that used to always and then it doesn't it doesn't right and I'm sort of like everyone's you know like the people are like what I thought you were gonna do something about this and uh and Sue's like nope gotta find my husband couldn't give a shit about this you know, and uh, and Namer's like, oh, I guess I guess Reed was the intellectually curious one. I thought that that was kind of funny, amusing. Like, there's there's little bits and pieces. Really, again. I I see. I find that really annoying. <laughs> no, I did. I because it's it's um, it's not only a bait and switch. It feels like it's betraying the characters because I just don't believe 
that Sue, or for that matter, any of the rest of the team, would not be like, we've got to look into this. Well, I okay, so I, I on the one hand, I agree with you. Uh, on the other, there's a feeling in which the, the I feel like DeFalco is throwing this in as kind of a big statement, you know? And, and it sort of makes sense. The Lee Kirby stuff, plotted as they were by Kirby, tends to have a really strong element of external circumstance. You know, it's like, Reed invents a new thing, let's go to the Hubler Bloob dimension. Like, here's a, here's a process by which, you know, we find a, a, there's like an old statue and they're going to go off and they're going to find themselves in Diablo's c- clutches yet again. You know, I feel like Falco DeFalco is saying like, hey, we're at the point now where these characters have their own needs and there's enough shits going in different directions that instead of turning around and being like, you know, Sue, Sue, I mean, it changes from page to page, but Sue's like, no, we're here to look for Reed. And then four pages later, I mean, Franklin, of course, we're, we're looking for Franklin. Yes, absolutely. You know, and and that Johnny's got this whole other he's like, not only is he not going to go off and find out what the mystery is of like Ben's statue being built like thousands of years before, he's not even going to go like look for his nephew. Like he's like, I've got too much shit on on my plate. The problem is 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 that because everything about these stories is bait and switch bullshit it that level like isn't it's not really convincing because there's so much stuff else that's going on like in the course of reading about the reading this set of issues like where Ben's basically sitting around being like ah, blah 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 he's never at any point <laughs> upset is is that is that what he's saying yeah, this is pretty much what he. I don't know. I, I don't know how. You, I mean, you're like you're like. I I, th- I think that might actually be word for word. Yeah, I, as I recall, that's that's most of it. I think at a certain point, either Tom DeFalco stopped writing Ben and just filled it in, or I don't. I stopped reading them, and that's just what I assumed he was saying. But either way, same same difference. Uh, is is it no point like when they last left the FF the the Four Freedoms Plaza? As I'm remembering correctly. It's like Sharon Ventura was in a coma, and then they found out that her body had disappeared, and then they got whisked away by uh, something else, right? But did they? I did they actually find out her body's disappeared? I know her body was disappeared, but I don't even know if they found that out. Well, okay, if they didn't find it out, then maybe that sort of makes sense. Except again, Ben has no is not one single thought about this about this. Pardon the expression, well, Morrissey, girlfriend also, in a coma, it, you know. But it, it makes no sense that they couldn't have found it out because right. they have had all this time to find it out as well. That's the other thing. Yeah, yeah. Like there's 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 so yeah there's so much that's just utterly schizophrenic. Of course, we keep on talking about you know they might have found it out. That plot did lead into an entirely different. So let's just assume that they did find it out in that other book and it's been resolved and that's why no one's talking about it. Okay, which which, admittedly, as someone who did not read that other book. Okay, that's fine, but there's again, there's just kind of like at every stage I feel like there's there's those levels of in the same way that you can't really believe that Johnny Storm is actually that upset about the shit that happens with his kid not being his kid because at no point did Johnny Storm well, it, ever express the interest in finding out like he well, it, and, not none of it makes sense yeah. like Johnny Johnny's reaction to everything, you know, is incredibly melodramatic. This is all real. 
is just nuts yeah given everything else that we've seen in this comic about johnny ever but also everything that's actually happening in this comic right now oh completely completely you know I, I have to say, just ludicrous. I, I'm not sure if I was relieved or disappointed by the fact that after, like, uh, God knows what feels like 300 issues of Teen Franklin and Huntera fighting each issue in, like, panel after panel after panel after panel. And, and saying, like, a bleak dialogue where it's like, look inside your feelings. Yes. Ex- stop, stop your eyes. Right. Yeah. And, and so at some point, I'm... I, I'm convinced DeFalco was like, yeah, and they were boyfriend and girlfriend back in this alternate dimension. Ah, no, I mean, he's she's basically his fucking aunt. Why not? I mean, maybe they're not fucking, maybe they are. I don't know. I haven't gotten around to it. But so the, the denouement where she is, where she is like, for I am your father's only sister. I'm like, really? Like, that was such a weird, fake-ass little moment of like, I'm like, that somehow turned everything else kind of retroactively creepy. Like, it, just because of the way that they were talking to one another, it doesn't really seem like the way... And it, to be fair, as the relationship goes on, at no way does it sound like an aunt talking to her nephew at any point. Like, it's... Oh, yeah, yeah, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. Also, I'm your father's only sister, so that's Reed's sister. Yes. Or is it... <laughs> Because honestly, well, no, like, of course, yeah, of course, we have the whole like Nathan thing yeah. to deal with, right? Like upcoming. What well, actually? No, it's still Reed's sister because Franklin still Reed's son. Or what are we saying? is he? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at every point, DeFalco's trying to leave those things open. Like there's there's a there's a revelation that he throws like three issues in from now. You're like no, and then the next issue, he's like, nah, just kidding. You know? Yeah, exactly. What, but that's the whole... F- okay, let's get into 390, which is one of those, like, what? No. <laughs> yes. Like, very much. Past deceptions and future lies, exclamation point, is what it's called. I mean, oh. So, the cross-cutting, which really is a problem when you're reading these comics. Like, legitimately, you get, yeah. like, maybe two pages in a scene, and then it cuts back to the other scene. Yeah. And then you get two pages, and then you cut back, and yada, yada, yada. It's new absolutely insane highs slash lows yeah which is a problem when this issue is essentially a massive info dump mm-hmm. and that's all it is it, yeah. it is exposition is two characters telling stories in different places there might there, be three a, characters telling stories well, in different places but yeah absolutely you have uh, the watcher explaining what has happened for where the ff is mm-hmm. i have lija explaining basically her secret origin mm-hmm the Watcher's story is absolutely bananas. The short version is they're in the future of an alternate reality where when Galactus attacked, the Watcher, instead of sending Johnny to go and get the ultimate nullifier, sent Reed and everything went to shit. And they are not actually in Four Freedoms Plaza at all. They're in a memorial that has been created to mark the fact that basically the Fantastic Four fucked up and destroyed humanity. Right. The end. Lija's Secret Origin is, I mean, let's, uh, it's, it's, it's gotten so big that, that honestly, but, but DeFalco it, it, spends it, half the time trying to, to some, like, three pages of her info dump it. is stuff that we already know that they've more or less dropped out. And then finally around pages four through, you know, five of it 
it's her kind of being like, oh, yeah, so, yeah, Payback, uh, you know, he he ended up, um, you know, saving me, and then I was put through the process of genetic re-manipulation and... Via cosmic rays. Yes, exactly. And then... But in addition to that, there's the epitome of Skrull microtechnology, the organic power receiver. Yeah. This tiny globe shall interface with Lyja's alter cellular structure, resulting in high-intensity... Uh, laser powers, power enough to try the Fantastic Four forever. Right. So how does it work for Raph? Exactly. I mean, it literally is set up on that page, and he's like, oh, hey, but oh, okay, so that explains it, why my body's become a battery of this laser energy ever since that mishap in the lab. Okay, first off, you can't call it a mishap when you fucking did it intentionally by pushing a button, you dick. And second off, there's something that's really, again, it's like, that literally makes no sense because he has no cosmic powers. Like, he can't be yeah. a battery for that unless it's established that he's a mutant nine issues for now. But it's literally... It's not like it was one page and then six issues later is like, yeah, and that's why he's got these powers. It literally makes no sense, and it's just the turn of the page. Like, there right, is... Right, it's, it's literally the next page. Yeah. It makes... It's nuts. Although I do like that Johnny's response is, if I want any more crud out of you, I'll squeeze your head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Johnny is upset. Let's just say that Johnny is not buying any of this because he says, uh, I'm through being burned by you, lady. Do you get it? He's the human torch, but he's being burned. Do you get it? It's important. So, yeah, that goes nowhere. You're right. There is actually a third story being told. There's a story being told of the origin of the Dark Raider. Yes. Well, the, okay. Oh, not the origin of Dark Raider. The origin of the threat behind the Dark Raider. Like, the, the whole Dark Raider thing is convoluted to the point of nonsensicalness. Okay. Like, it's it's ridiculous. See, Graham, and this is where are, are maybe you, you and I disagree. Are you explain... What's okay. that? No, 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 no. It's not a clusterfuck. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. I, I think it is a clusterfuck. The, there's just two things. What I'm saying is, is although you and I seem to have, like, because it's a relatively short info dump, you do have Franklin and Huntara jump back up uh, into the castle of Warlord Cargol, which is uh, where Cargol, who kind of looks sort of like if Mojo had, like, fucked Attila or Atuma. I'm sorry, if if Mojo had fucked Atuma, he's basically this big yellow warlord who's not into wearing pants, who is the guy who more or less trained Franklin and Huntara in the in their uh, super special fighting abilities. And it's all about the time pool that allowed that that they are there to um, protect the sacred time streams. So on the one hand, I, the guy's I just like, say very quick, yeah, yeah, can I mm -hmm. interrupt for a second? Please. To say? You said he's not fond of wearing pants. I do want to say that he is, in fact, wearing like a, a toga. Well, not a toga, but like a robe over his what would be his genitalia. Yes. Who knows if he, if he even has genitalia? He's an alien. Right. But I don't want people to think that like there's this is a Batman damned situation. <laughs> that, there is that no is true. Page. <laughs> there, there, there is covering of the nethers, but it's 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 a pretty lazy covering. Like we're like I'm oh, supposed yeah, to fear like, this guy. The design in general. The design yeah. in general is is. I mean, we've talked before about how Paul Ryan's design skills are almost non-existent yeah. and this proves it. Yeah, oh very much so. It was, it was just like that's that? Anyway, so I just want to say there was a lot of uh, backstory that is also an info dumping because it's literally three people who all know each other exchanging stories about how they know each other so that us, the readers, understand 
how they know each other. And, you know, well, but also you get the important bit of the end where he's like, no, your grandfather is the enemy again. Yes. Right. Like, and everyone every, acts like, like that's new news, even though yeah, I feel like e- it's just every been... two issues. Mm-hmm. Everyone is like, Franklin is your granddad. Franklin is your granddad. Yeah. Not only that, we've seen like Natasha Richards dress up as Dr. Doom. Yeah. Yeah. Like none of this should come as a surprise. And yet, like you say, it's all played as if this is a shock. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So that's terrible. Now, the one thing that I will say that I think is hilarious is there's two things going on with 390 that are not obvious at all until you get to the end of this storyline that it's part of. And one of those things is the fact that it looks like it's being presented as a, you know, uh, the Watcher is trying to help the FF um, right a wrong that the the Watcher had created in this on this alternate Earth, but it's really a surreptitious stealth origin for the Dark Raider, and which you well, which you wouldn't realize for a couple of issues exactly. Yeah, so I think in a way there's a way in which you're like, oh, I'm reading this for one thing, and then when you get to the oh, that's who that dude is, there's a little bit of a Oh, that would be entirely clever if the that storyline hadn't sucked tremendous amount of ass and made no sense from the beginning. It's also a thing that people would not realize. Uh, part of the no one gets out alive storyline slash crossover that you would not know was happening if you weren't reading the letters pages in which people are like, how many stories, how many issues is this exciting storyline running? And they're like, it's only got one part left. You won't believe the grand finale. I'm like, you guys don't want to label this in any way whatsoever. But also like, who... Really, because do you remember there was the chapter where it was like, we're just about to start, no one gets yes. out alive. Yep. And then it feels like you've had like three different stories since then. Yeah. And you're like, wait, has this been nobody gets out alive all along? Exactly. Exactly. And part of me is like, wow, that's fucking terrible. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, nobody gets out alive is, let's be generous. The fact that it is not labeled on the covers yep. as, you know, part seven of, of eight or whatever mm-hmm. is probably the the editors being kind to Tom DeFalco and not like setting him up for people being like, this is the least coherent story I've ever read <laughs> because it's just, I mean, really since, since no one gets out live started, actually I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, then again, it did introduce the dark Raider. So you do have that through line, well, see, except dark yeah. Raider hasn't gone up for the past two issues. Right. See, and I think that's kind of, I think you might be right. If this were, on the one hand, if this were labeled no one gets out alive, then sort of the bullshit that that the Watcher is setting up in issue 390 has a little bit of the stakes. Because I feel like if this were more clearly labeled, the whole decision to go and disappear in uh, like basically that the watcher is setting the FF up with a suicide mission would make a little more sense. And as the issues go on and you get a sequence in which Sue is suddenly like cast back as, you know, some sort of fiery apparition and gets to say shit that we saw earlier, you're like, Oh, like, like there's sort of a sense of like, okay, but there are stakes in place. And, 
one of the things that's really amazing about the way that issues 390 and 391 and and uh, really fall apart is just completely how unaware what the stakes really are like once you get well, to well, the point okay let, let's yeah. let's get very quickly to the end of 319 and we can go to 391 and talk about the stakes right because the as i said the watcher is told sue and ben and scott lang and namer that they're in this alternate timeline where reed was sent to get the ultimate nullifier what then happens is the watcher teleports scott and namer back to earth they were frozen in time so they don't necessarily know what's going on by the way sure (laughs) <laughs> let's, let's that. No, I like honestly. I believe you. I just didn't remember that. No, I know you uh, didn't, and I wasn't sure whether to correct you because it makes absolutely no difference. But I, you know, I was just like, I don't think. Well, it, no, but it, it actually, it actually does make a difference because otherwise, then the other characters would know where they've gone. Yeah. Because on Earth, Johnny then disappears. Yes, it turns out on the final page that all three of them have been thrown back in time to when Galactus is making his final attack on the alternate Earth uh, when Reed is in space, in theory, getting the ultimate nullifier. Yeah. So the stakes, in theory, are saving all of humanity in an alternate timeline. Yes. What is worth bearing in mind is the last time the FF went into the past in an alternate timeline, Reed and Sue ended up dead. Yes. This is sadly not played well at all in the comic. Mm-hmm. Like there I guess what I'm saying is there are legitimate stakes to the story. Like there is A, the fate of humanity, and B, the fact that the last time the FF did this, they fucked up. Yeah, but I mean, I mean like in this story. Is it? In this story. Oh yeah, that's true. None of it's in this story. There is no sense that that is kind of happening. It's not referred to. But I think also there is something to be said for this idea of, I, one could say that Defalco more or less flipped, like has lowered the stakes artificially. The first time Reed and Sue died on that alternate Earth, everyone was like, because everyone just went home. Yeah. This sucks yeah, to be like, you, and then you just leave, and nothing happens. You know what I mean? Like, sure, but I, but I guess. Well, first of all, we could honestly spend hours, and I'm sure we will spend hours talking about the mistakes that Tom DeFalco has made <laughs> in his Fantastic Four run. <laughs> but go with me on this. Yeah. If that had been played differently, this story would be much more impactful because you would have the at this time it's not just jo- uh, Reed and Sue, yeah. it's all of humanity. And the FF has already failed at this. Yes. Yeah. But no, I, I agree. Of, mm-hmm. None of that is, is present in the story. Yeah. Which is, you know, definitely to its detriment. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you're like, or at least I was like, you can almost see what he was going for. It's just that he forgot to put all of that in the actual comic. Sure. Exactly. I And, and, and I think there's a lot of that. There's just such a... a I mean, ah, oh, there is so much that is really bad and dumb about this, uh, which I guess I'll try and I don't know. Is it, I was gonna is, say, do you want to like go through three ninety one? Do you want to do three ninety one and three ninety two together because they are essential? Like it's the final two parts of the story. That would make that. I think that would make sense. Um, yeah, I think so. An exceptional amount of forward motion in three ninety one on it by itself. Yeah, yeah, it's the thing. Yeah. Okay, yes, let's do 391 and 392 together. 391 is, if death be our destiny, 
so the FF, have, as Graham pointed out, have been um, more or less swapped out with their counterpoints, counterparts on this alternate Earth to um, fight Galactus, and it, it, who is in the, the final realms of getting ready to seal the deal and, um, and devour the Earth. Reed is uh, the one that Uatu is sent off to get the ultimate nullifier and is taking too long because his uh, intellect continues to be basically challenged and intrigued by all the shit that he sees around him as opposed to Johnny, who, bless his heart, was too fucking dumb to understand what was happening to him at the time, which was I, part I, of his power. I want to interrupt. Yes. That's actually... That's not you being snarky. That's actually the explanation given by the Watcher in 390. Yes, yeah. Like in, in in all seriousness, the Watchers points out that basically Johnny was the better choice because he was ignorant. Yeah. So you're like, listeners, Jeff is not just being bitchy. Yeah. Like I, that, I, that's I, actually that, that's in that's that's in text bitchiness. So, uh so you've got the FF, uh, by which I mean the Fantastic Three, Johnny, Sue, and Ben, uh, with the Silver Surfer fighting Galactus. Then, meanwhile, because this is the way the comic rolls, Namor and Scott Lang have been knocked back to the four, uh, the FF headquarters to discover Elijah and the Laser Fist fighting what is, like, of course, what the, the fallback of any artist who has no interest in drawing what they're drawing, tentacles. There's a bunch of tentacles bursting out of Johnny and Elijah's egg, and Scott says... But how? How is that possible? Like, I'm like, really, Scott? You don't have any imagination? Like, even if you didn't know the rest of the shit that we were able to find out, the fact of the matter is, is like, I would think that a baby that of a shape changer, uh, you know, sprouting tentacles while it breaks out of an egg would be the least surprising thing to happen. But no, there's so many more least surprising things to happen coming on in this comic. Um... Basically, people try and fight Galactus physically, which never seems to make much sense. Uh, the Silver Surfer, of course, has the most power fighting uh, Galactus. Um, I'm really struck by the bottom of page 10, where Paul Ryan more or less redraws a classic Kirby panel from, you know, the original Galactus storyline with this amazing big energy ball that's like consuming everything. But DeFalco actually undercuts it going, I don't get it. Why is that big creep showing off his wacky energy ball? <laughs> Which is hilarious to me uh, that, that, you know, also it is a weird thing for me that the whole point of this issue is sort of the, we're going back to like the real pantheon of FF greatness. Everyone is like, this is the Zenith of the FF. And we're really going to show how far this book has fallen by having us sort of retell the story with the new stakes of like, oh, but this is the new team. What can this new team bring that the old team didn't? And the answer is nothing. Like most yes. of the story yeah. is the fucking Silver Surfer doing shit. So um, again, what's very odd is it's almost as if someone was like, hey, you know, it would the one thing that we could have really done to fix that original Galactus saga, take out all the Kirbyisms and have them replaced by Paul Ryanisms. Because if there's one thing that Paul Ryan is, he's such a dramatic, dynamic storyteller. <laughs> anyway, so um, 
so Galactus drops his wacky energy ball in front of everyone. Meanwhile, Reed is like drifting through uh, Galactus's like piece of industrial equipment that he calls his spaceship, and Reed's like, "Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mess with this thing. I'm gonna mess with this thing. I, I've got to choose the right weapon." And it's like, "Dude, you were told what the right weapon is. Why aren't you? What? What the fuck are you doing?" Meanwhile, back on planet Cronenberg body horror, like, uh, Lijah, Laser Fist 2, Namor, and, uh, Scott Lang are fighting this, this, um, basically, again, what to me could be a great idea in a 70s comic becomes a horrible idea in a 90s comic. Paybach has more or less put a uterine assassin inside Lyja. The whole point of this egg is it's actually an, an, an assassin, a monster that's capable of destroying the Fantastic Four um, by basically being able to like change into the shape of like an asparagus with tentacles and everyone's like, oh no, we are doomed. Spoilers, they're not, thanks to the <laughs> fact that I don't know. I think everyone loses interest. I was gonna I was gonna say what happens in the rest of that, and I'm like, oh yeah, I might as well jump ahead. Skipping all the other intercut stories, uh Lijah is like, Okay, everyone, step back. There's no way that you can pronounce the you can defeat the Holly Berry. I, it's called the Shawberry, I guess. So she she's like I there's only one way that I can redeem myself from being exploited by payback. I too will turn myself into a shabari and suddenly it's it's two two asparaguses on top of tentacles in 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 a in a in a single panel battle that Tom DeFalco uh, like unconvincingly tries to describe as that which follows is less a battle than an orgy of fury and gore. I'm like Gross. He also then says, "Horrifying in such utter savagery, those present cannot avert their eyes," which is hilarious. In that it immediately cuts to a different scene in the next page. Yeah, yeah. Nor will <laughs> we can't avert our eyes, but you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Believe me, it's like it is in a way. It is almost. There's times when Tom DeFalco really likes the sort of um, stickiest parts of Stanley and. The idea that it, he's kind of doing the, like, we're cutting away to save your tender souls, you know, would be, again, like, if it, oh my God, it's just so bad. Anyway, so that's what's happening on that front. Uh, there's also an amazing subplot where the Black Panther, who I don't remember if we mentioned, did, didn't he call up Johnny Storm and get hung up on him by the previous issue? He's got this uh, dude, yes. Vibraxis who is like his charge who has like uh, um amazing powers and uh as it turns out he actually finds the inhumans hiding in a uh in an amusement pier park, park um, in New Jersey yeah exactly uh Medusa says this job provides us with a good cover allowing us to hide in plain sight while here on earth but is that a thing like, is that come from another comic? Do you know? I have no idea. It, it of course not. Out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm 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 not like are the did the inhumans get thrown thrown off of the blue area of the moon? Like what the hell is happening here that allows them to be like what? So um yeah, but, but anyway, Vibraxis is there. Everyone's favorite new character find of nineteen ninety. Whatever, nineteen ninety. What is it? Nineteen ninety four. By this point. Oh um, yeah. 
Yeah, everyone loves Vibraxis. He's great. Yeah, between between Vibraxis, the new Laser Fist, uh, Rafael Suarez, and the soon to be uh, uh, unveiled um, Devilance, the Devilator, or whatever that Devilance, the Deviant. It's so or, great. Yeah. So so the the short version of this scene is. Black Panther shows up and is like, here's Vibraxis. I'm taking him to the Fantastic Four to be trained. And Medusa goes, that's great. We have a young and human we want to be trained too. Do you want to take him along? Here he is. He's Silhouette Boy. Yes. Yes, Silhouette Kid. Yep. Yeah, and he's like, sure. And again, this is this classic, like the idea that that guy is in Silhouette is, you know, as a staple of the DeFalco uh, Ryan run, Arguably, it's supposed to be something that is to draw your curiosity. It has the opposite result. I'm just like, well, it's it's just you really are like, so they've not designed that character yet. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that's that's I guess the other subplot that that is happening. Meanwhile, again, in the in the retelling of the FF, you know, reads like distracted. Again, the FF barely every once in a while like managed to repeat the same old mistakes that they do from previous uh, the pre first fight. Like, oh, let's knock him over. Oh, he can't be knocked over. Like, didn't you exactly? It's just like when they went back and fought their earlier selves, and they met the Dark Raider, and they didn't remember the Dark Raider. Yeah. Somehow, this Fantastic Four does not remember that they've literally done this before. Yeah, and it's like there is no. And again, I kind of get in a way where I think maybe for whatever reason DeFalco was thinking that they were going to go with this because right after they failed to knock him over and they're like, oh, ha, ha, that didn't work this time either. Uh, the surfer comes in and is like, you know, Galactus, no, humans are glorious. I'm going to protect them. And he's like, okay, then I'm just going to blow you apart. I And he does. Instead of just stripping the power, he just totally kills his herald and is like, geez, I'm really sorry that I had to do that, but I just have to, you know, it's like I've got I've to survive. I've got to eat. I'm really hungry. Exactly. Exactly. Galactus got to eat. And so the FF are like, ah, some sort of cosmic mailstorm. Ah, we got to go downstairs and, you know, kind of do that. Yeah, basically. I'm stunned by every choice is so bad. Like, (laughs) just like in the original story where you catch those guys shaving and talking, which was a weird, quiet, calm before the storm moment that kind of worked. Instead, it's just, you know, six panels of Johnny being yelly and you know, melodramatic-y and... And quitting again! Yeah. I love that. I love that the, the, the team are like, okay, this is it, we're probably gonna die. And as they're running out, Johnny's like, I just want to remind you guys, I'm quitting. Yes. Just, yep. just want you guys to remember, I'm quitting. I know we're about to die, but I just want you to know this is the last time I'm going to go out there and die. Okay? Yep. I'm quitting. So basically, Sue shows up, she's changed out of her uh, new uniform into her old classic uniform, saying that she didn't have a choice because her other outfit was shredded in the blast. Johnny's like, don't you think you're tempting fate? That's what your burning image wore when she predicted our deaths. Which is, again, is one of those like, oh, oh, that really You're, you're like, oh, the- Oh, that's right. right. There was that burning image. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, basically. And Sue says, you know, maybe I am tempting fate, but we've been spinning in fate's eye ever since we first banded together for a little joyride into space. And uh, she basically throws them their original clothes. And, 
you know, I sort of like Sue's basic gist of, let's face it, we were we were idiots who went into that right space without thinking things through. That's always been our way. And they're basically agreed, and they put their three hands on each other and the classic sort of FF sort of posture, except now there's three of them. And they're like, okay, it's clobbering time. And they go back out, and sure enough, they're... They're trying to they're trying to clobber Galactus. They, they get clobbered. Yeah, they get clobbered something good. Like they manage to like cause an extra few minutes delay before um Galactus turns Ben back into just plain old Ben Grimm, who's then like, I will I will stick you in the foot with this pencil and Galactus is like, No, I will just kill you and Torch is like, What? I've gotta I've gotta go Nova and take out this creep and Galactus is like, Nope. And then Sue, who really does the only thing that's somewhat interesting at all, is like, okay, I'm going to stab you through the heart with an invisible force stake, which is kind of interesting. And he's like, this manifestation is not my true form, but merely the way I will myself to appear. I cannot be injured in any physical sense that you could perceive. And part of me is like, yeah, that's, uh, again, this is something that the FF should know because that is something that they were there for during Byrne's, like, trial of the Galactus. I don't think that Byrne was actually positing that just because Galactus is in a shape that, that the human brain can make sense of means that there's no way that shape can take any damage, but eh. What the hell? Well, anyway, but but to be fair to DeFalco, he is following up on something that was established not in the FF, but in a Hercules miniseries. Oh, is that the Hercules miniseries that, yes. that talks about that? Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So he he is picking up on established continuity. It's okay. just that it wasn't the FF. It, okay. Well, that maybe that even makes sense for why Sue doesn't know it. It is sort of surprising that Sue somehow knows that when Galactus turns the power of her force field back against her. She's like, he's turning the power of my force field against me, attacking me psychically as well as physically. No exclamation point. I feel him battering me, violating me on every conceivable level of reality, writes Chris Claremont. My force field is <laughs> seething in an energy backlash, and I feel myself being catapulted across the dimensional barriers. Again, you just kind of see Sue glowing, so you kind of, you know, DeFalco's exactly. got to do how some... Does she, how does she know that? Yeah, also, exactly. What does that feel like? Exactly! Catapulted across dimensional barriers. You know? And how does Sue know that? It's shockingly specific, isn't it? You're just like, okay, I guess. I mean, anyway, so after seeing the orgy of violence and Gru, Lija is still alive, Namor's like, ah, she's she was a brave warrior. Her physical wounds will surely heal, but she faced the d darkest depths of herself on this day. Who can say what permanent effects such an encounter can have on her mind? Defalco's like, ah, eh? ah, eh? maybe that'll be where we're going with this, ah. Eh? Of course, it doesn't get played out in any of the other further issues. It, like, of course not. Spoilers. Because it, there's because no permanent it, effect. <laughs> there's none. There's that, none. That, you know, that is pretty much just true of all of these issues, though. There's no permanent effect. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. So Sue appears, the, the, the fiery image that we saw at the beginning of the the, the stealth event, uh, no one gets out alive. She shows up flaming, saying, Benny, Ben, Johnny, I saw them die. They're both dead. 
Namor's like, what? Why has she returned this time? But why? And indeed, what a good question that is. There seems to be no real fucking reason. Meanwhile, Franklin and Huntara in the time slide, the Dark Rider's going to manifest, will soon manifest himself, and we must prepare for battle, says Franklin, who, why he knows that shit, who knows? But all of a sudden, his psyche touches his mother's, and he's like, I felt her die in my mind. They're dead, Huntera. Don't ask me how I can sense that on some distant plane that doesn't really count, the Fantastic Four fight no more. And you see them all dead in front of Galactus, who's kind of it's, glowy. I know I was like, let's take 391 and 392 together, but I just want to interrupt very quickly to say I love that Franklin in presumably the present day mm-hmm. psychically knows... That his mother has died in an alternate timeline in the past. It's in the past. It's in the past. Like, so... I mean, there's also the... If Sue got zapped in the past and was sent to the future to say, Ben, Johnny, that I saw them die, why did she appear twice? Yes. No, I mean, that's one of the things that's really has continued to confuse me, is, is like... Is well, there's also you see you see the the flaming Sue later yes. after they've closed this time loop. Yes. Yeah. No. I know. I mean, and that's another thing that just get just chafes me. Anyway, before we get to three ninety two, the big the big finale. I know we want to discuss them both at the same time, but I think one of the things that's amazing about three ninety and three ninety one with the shit with Galactus, because you would think after that dramatic conclusion, surely that's going to go somewhere, right? We'll get there, everyone, but. Spoilers, no. Uh, no, exactly. Is is the fact that the FF, the new FF, bring absolutely nothing to their fight with Galactus, and it kind of underpins how much. How do I put it? I mean, if Defalco's whole idea was to to hang a lamp on how little the FF's original fight with Galactus made no sense, I I sort of feel like like if his if his goal was to try and revisit the classic and sort of bring a spin on it and show like how great the FF are now that clearly was a failure if he was trying to diminish the achievements of the original I could almost see what he's going for but I but it doesn't work as well one of the things that's amazing of course about Kirby's stuff and that original storyline is how new everything was and how you weren't necessarily, you didn't know what you were going to get on the next page in a way that's very different from DeFalco's continual plate spinning act of, oh, here's Silhouette Boy, tune in next issue where we'll show you what he looks like, maybe, I mean, they do, but there's no guarantee. There's like 900 stories going on in this and at no point do you have a feeling of a... This is going to go anywhere because DeFalco has been spinning these plates for so goddamn long. But also, additionally, it's like the opposite of the original spectacle of the new that really kicks in around the time that Lee and Kirby do the first Galactus saga. And all you see is a story that kind of doesn't make any sense. And you realize the FF ultimately, in a way, the the miracle of the story of Galactus is is that it's is that it's Kirby doing the Silver Surfer's story. You know, the FF the the story is so cosmic they become bit players in their own comic for a couple of issues. And yeah. when you turn that around and try and be like, only you can prevent forest fires, screams Yuatu. 
it doesn't there's there's nothing here that establishes that like even if it's a battle against the clock where the whole goal is they know that they cannot win against galactus the trick is is that they have to prevent dying losing long enough that they can get till reed gets back those stakes which make a lot of sense when i say them out loud are at no point invested in the storyline up to it exactly it's like i was saying for the for the end of 390 there are legitimate stakes at play it's just that they're not in the story yeah yeah you know there 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 is so much possibility mm -hmm. there Mm -hmm. and it is in no way present in the actual fucking story yeah yeah and 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 that's kind of it's kind of a stunner and again i sort of wonder if there's a little level of for me if this were any other writer than what we've been through with tom defalco i'd be like there's got to be some kind of really interesting meta here and i think there's exactly some... there has to be a why yeah and and i'm really curious as to is the why just defalco being like okay i have to do like just as the ff he's made them more 90ized by make sort of weirdly trying to make everything more grim and more melodramatic that he's going back to the original galactus stuff to really sell you on how different it is is it is it defalco who probably did have the rep for being after all of his bajillion years on Thor and Spider-Man, like kind of really sticking it to the idea of DeFalco as the sort of overly reverential retro dude by turning around and having a story where like Galactus shanks the Silver Surfer and the rest of the <laughs> FF die. It's like, I you know, there, I think there's something that's kind of interesting to the meta and i i'll see if i can unpack it when we get to issue 392 to the extent that it's tied in but i'm not necessarily sure that you know it's it's all but guaranteed going to be one of those things where you graham will stay in your very supportive way jeff i think that you're looking at things that that are not there in the comic i wish oh, they I'm, were i am yeah. honestly i'm honestly looking forward to that because it will be more valuable than what is actually in the comic well i not particularly this time but yeah well, well let's let's go to 392 the final gauntlet yes because like gauntlet has one too many letters but gauntlet is a real word apparently so there you go opens with uh reads who has returned but apparently without the ultimate nullifier yeah. to find the Fantastic Four dead, and then immediately cuts back to an alternate plane of reality, another alternate plane of reality, apparently, yeah. um, where the Watcher is with our Fantastic Four who are alive, which really brings to mind the question of, like, what was the fucking deal? Yeah. Like, why, why were they there? Mm -hmm. Like, What's supposed to happen? They then get immediately teleported back to Four Freedoms Plaza, where they meet with the rest of the team. And, you know, I'm so glad that we had that two-issue interlude for a story that means nothing. Yeah. And it doesn't mean nothing. We'll find out very quickly what it means. But it definitely isn't worth two issues. Yeah. No. Especially just where you see the team die. Mm-hmm. 
Well, you see the team die, and then essentially you get the watcher being like, oop, here's a take back, you know. Yeah. Oh, he's joking. Yep. Which is super, like, it's such a strange creative choice. Mm-hmm. Not least of which because, A, your story's called Nobody Gets Out Alive, and B, you've actually, quote-unquote, legitimately killed off Reed like a year ago. Yes. And so to go from that to really cheaply faking killing off the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. And then the next month being like, no, they're they're completely alive, is is wacky as shit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's legitimately strange. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they get they get teleported back. Lija is very happy to see Johnny. Johnny is not so happy. When I say not so happy, I mean he throws her off and screams, "Take your hands off me, you miserable witch!" After the way she deceived me for the past few months, playing me for a total fool. Do you honestly think we could ever have a life together? Yes, the soap opera of this. You see, again, you see where they're meaning to go, right? But the execution is just so off. Yeah, so off. So Johnny then storms out, saying, "I go alone," because of course he fucking does. Right. Elijah is is upset and turns into an alien bird and flies off. And Sue says, with amazing understatement, "We could be at a major crossroads." <laughs> y- you think? Yeah. Y- you think you could? Ben, fascinatingly enough, is basically like, no, we're not. We're the Fantastic Four. It's going to be fine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which I kind of love. Mm-hmm. I really kind of love that he's like, it's like we've done this so many times. Just like Sue, you know, five or six issues ago when Reed died, and she's like, no, he's not dead because, like, it's it's Doctor Doom. They're, like, there's a twist. Yes. Ben is now the one who's read the comics, and he's like, yeah, we've done this so many times. It'll be fine. Mm-hmm. As they're having that discussion, the Dark Raider shows up. Thank God. And yet again, nobody says, aren't you the Invincible Man? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You're wearing the exact outfit. You really are. Also, I have to say, I was always confused as to whether he was the Dark Rider or the Dark Raider. So is Tom DeFalco. He literally refers to him as the Dark Rider in issue 391. And then he's back to being the Dark Raider in issue 392. Unbelievable. I think that's called a typo. Sure. You say what you want, Graham. Potato, <laughs> potato. Franklin and Huntara arrive at Four Freedoms Plaza. Franklin doesn't seem to have any response to the fact that his mother is still alive. Yeah. After the previous session, he'd be like, she's dead. Now he knows she's still alive because he talks about her in the present tense. Yeah. But there is no reaction to the fact that she's still alive, underscoring the fact that nobody gives a shit in this comic. Yeah. Nobody really cares. They are, Franklin and Hunter, are met by the visiting Vibraxis, Black Panther, and, sorry, Devilor the Deadly. I was honestly <laughs> like, what the name? I'm scatting pages. I was like, Devlax, Devlox, Devlor yeah. the Deadly, who is a scrawny little kid. Yep. Let's just be perfectly honest. Yep. If anyone is paying attention to him, Antara is now relatively human-sized. Yep. I said before she was so large that she made Franklin look like a doll. She's now relatively human-sized. I And I'm not being sarcastic. I don't know if her changing size is actually a power or just Paul Ryan being seriously inconsistent. I think it's Paul Ryan being seriously inconsistent. So... But I, I think, honestly, the, as far as I can tell, it seems like half the shit with Franklin is is that Franklin's supposed to be, like, 14. And so Paul Ryan can only kind of draw that by sort of splitting the difference where Franklin's drawn as 7 in half the issues and 21 in half the other panels. So they all average out to 14. But because there's times where it's like even the panel where they should jump off on the time sled 
it's like Franklin looks maybe 10 years old until the scene where suddenly he's like, Panther, my mother and uncle are in grave danger. He's here. The great enemy of all humanity has arrived. And suddenly it's like he's like looking all 20s-ish and 90s-ish. And he's got the marks of like, I don't know, the time hound or whatever it was that Tom DeFalco was like, eh, let's just rip this shit off of. Yeah, the X Men, sure. Give it exactly. Me. Yeah, let, let's just outright rip this off the X Men. To be fair, I think it's meant to be. Is he not meant to be exactly the same type of hound that that Rachel was? I well, because all of the references, to, I thought Rachel's Rachel was a hound in the sense of she had become sort of a, a tracking hound for the Sentinels to track down other mutants. And... Yeah, but but don't forget that in FF continuity, Franklin also became a hound. Uh, Franklin, admittedly, yeah. In that, in in the Days of Future Past timeline, yeah. Okay, well, that's the Days of Future Past timeline. But I know this exactly. Timeline, it's a different Franklin. I know. Yeah, th- this is the different Franklin. Who again? They give him the hound marks, but the whole thing with him talking to Seagull or Cargol or Steve Seagull or whatever his name is, is is that he he and Huntera are supposed to be um, protectors of the time stream, and so. His little schmoogy hound face, I thought, was more about people who might be fucking with the time stream. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Ask Jeff, just buy it. Yes, exactly. Because they know that the Dark Raiders downstairs, they attack, and finally we see the soon-to-be Fantastic Force in action, and they are on top of their shit. Let's just say that you've never seen the Black Panther trapped in a bubble You've never seen a force field attack on Tara somehow. You've never seen Devlor be the deadliest inhuman of all by turning into an overweight werewolf. It's so exciting. He gets attacked by rocks. It's it's great. You think this is earth pounding, earth shattering already? Just wait. The Dark Raider takes off his mask and he's the Reed Richards from the timeline. They've just left. What? Yes. Oh, no. <laughs> we know this is important because the Watcher has shown up. Yes. By the way, Graham, I don't know if you mentioned, but the Fantastic Force are so amazing that, do you know Do you know how Dark Raider uh, manages to defeat Vibraxis? <laughs> you know what? I actually didn't even pay attention. Yeah, no I'm... one did, including Vibraxis. Vibraxis actually vibrates the floor and then it's like... And nothing happened. It distracted him, yeah. And then... Everyone ignores him. He's never taken out. He just, he's like, oh, and then everyone gets beaten up. And he's like, like, I, I guess, I guess we can't do anything. Yeah, he literally leaves. He just, he just shows up in the background. He just did it once. And he's like, well, that's it for me. I'm just going to stand here agape for the rest of the issue. Like, it's amazing. It's amazing how half-assed that action scene is where they're like, well, Vibraxis could do something. No, he's not. Okay, let's get to the big stuff. It's the Reed Richards I- I like to think that what happened was they did the Vibraxis scene, and then they're like, wait, this is just vibe from Justice League Detroit. I know! Which let's, is the let's, best thing about just, him! Yeah. Let's just pretend that that's, that's not a thing. We've just realized we've recreated vibe. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Which I think is hilarious. They're like, oh, shit. Like, it really is kind of like we can't let DC have a have their own... We've got to we've got to recreate this. Or who knows? Maybe Tom DeFalco was like, you know, the only thing wrong with that vibe guy was he wasn't from with Wakanda. You know, if he was just been from Wakanda, he would be the best hero ever. And I'll show by 
Uh, I'm sorry. What was I saying? I, got, I don't I'll, remember I'll any of it. I'll show by ignoring him. I'll yes. show by forgetting. Seriously, him. literally forgetting to have him. Like everyone else gets defeated, he just is kind of like, Meh, fuck that. I'm just gonna stand back here. Uh so wait, but no. But Reed Richards has unveiled himself. He said Reed Richards from the alternate timeline. Yep. He turns out he actually does have the ultimate nullifier. He just never used it before. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for ultimate nullifier. But if you think this story has been half-assed so far. Let me tell you yeah. how they end it. Reed is in a force field about to use the ultimate nullifier. And Sue and Franklin are like, if only there's some way we could break his concentration. Yep. And then both go, malice. And by holding hands and yelling concentrate at each other, they actually suck malice out of Franklin's head. <laughs> the thing that he couldn't do before, remember? Yep. And stick it in Reed's head. Yeah. You might think that having malice in Reed's head would just make for a worse supervillain. Yes. But apparently not. Yeah. Apparently, it distracts Reed long enough that the Watcher then kills him. Yeah. The end. Yeah. I am floored by that. <laughs> that is genuinely stunning to me mm -hmm. that a that's the end of the malice storyline that all franklin needs to do all along was hold hands with his mother and shout concentrate at each other <laughs> and then the, the end of the dark raider storyline is that the watcher just again using the watcher's powers that we've always seen him use has a force blast come out of his hands to incinerate reed richards yeah yep yeah. No. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the thing that that I find amazing. Oh, and just as the previous issue or whatever had like uh the moment where where Ben's like, "Okay, don't worry, Susie, we'll get by even if we got to be the Fantastic 2." And at the end of this, after everyone leaves, it like Sue's like, "I'm off to see Reed," and Franklin's like, "I'm off to go with mom and or maybe not, who knows." And Johnny's already disappeared, and Ben's like, that's okay. The, so it's going to be the Fantastic One. <laughs> I, just, I, I love the yeah, idea I do, the, I do love the Fantastic One. Also, you saying that Johnny's taken off reminds me, it's also kind of amazing that Johnny's just not present for the showdown with Dark Raider. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Like, it, it's, it's kind of weird yeah. that they just like write Johnny out of the book halfway through, and he doesn't come back to this climactic battle. Yeah. But then again, as you point out, like, they forget about Verpraxis in the final battle as well. There are too many characters for that final battle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, in the end, literally everyone stands around apart from Franklin and Sue, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is kind of amazing. They're like, oh, my God, like, how are we going to break this force shield? And nobody does anything other yeah. than Franklin and Sue. Well, because there's that whole idea of, like, it resists everything that they – like. it just seemed ridiculous. It all did. The thing that I find also fascinating is, is that – because this is the 90s and Marvel is in high, the roller coaster out of control, going faster and faster on the track, threatening to fly off and kill everyone, is anyone who had read the first 20 some odd pages of this comic were like, okay, everyone's going to quit. The thing is like, okay, everyone else is left. I'm going to have to start off the new Fantastic Four. And you literally have Huntera. Devalor and Vibraxis all in the same room. You even have the Black Panther. Like Ben could basically just recruit everyone and become the Fantastic exactly. Five. Exactly. I'd be like, we're 
yeah, we're we're the new Fantastic Four right here. Yeah, yeah, and and but no, that, Fantastic Four has to be launched, Jeff. We'll see, and that's it. Because of it, it's like, huh? So, so literally, you're not even going to give us the weird Avengers sixteen feel of a new team rises from the ashes of the old, and they're all a bunch of young annoying jerks that you're really going to hate for the next forty plus issues or whatever. Just as well. So, so one of the things I think is amazing is that's great is it wasn't until rereading this these issues that I realized that the Reed Richards from the alternate Earth has a scar across his face because the the inking by um, Danny Bulanati is so catch as catch can with its over rendering that by the time Reed shows up with the scar as the Dark Raider like. You can't really tell. Like even the flashback, it's like it's in shadow most of the time. Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Like how do you how do you know for sure it's a scar? Because it could just be any of the other rendering on the face. Exactly. I really thought it was rendering on the face. Also, I'm amused by every single time that they show the Dark Raider traveling through various multiverses, killing off Reed. Uh, there's always the panel of him gunning down the Indiana Jones Reed Richards who's holding the statue of the thing's head that we see as the abandoned MacGuffin from like two or three issues earlier. And I don't know. Exactly. They, they still don't explain the MacGuffin. Yeah. Right. Like, I'm like, so is that like he was traveling and then he got killed on that planet? Like, I don't even know if it's ever going to come back, but the whole fidelity of like, this is clearly going to be a thing. And you're like, is 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 it? Is it? Yeah. So <laughs> like, is, is this is this a thing? What? Uh, I, I, the irony of us saying this is going to be a thing when it is literally a bust of the thing. Yes, it's true. <laughs> is it going to be the thing? It's, is, is it a thing? Is it it's a thing? It a must thing. be a thing. Yeah. It looks like a thing, but somehow they don't follow through like it's a thing. Uh, so three ninety one and three ninety two, the meta, the potential meta sound seems interesting to me. That never really pays off, of course, is that with anyone else other than the sloppy, the world's sloppiest team of Defalco and uh, Ryan, uh, you have you have like two issues in which the 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 apex of the FF story uh, is revisited. And more or less shows that, A, no matter what else that you've done, the team has not changed in any way that makes a difference whatsoever. And then the very next issue you have, here is the grand poobah, darkest enemy of all the timelines that we've been talking about for years now, and it's Reed Richards. And part of me is like, yeah, I'm really tempted to say that the meta is that someone's trying could be saying the fantastic four were on a run to be a perfectly great comic and what the rest of us think of as the absolute apex of uh lee and kirby and the comic is kind of an accidental aberration that has more or less retarded the book ever since and that can be laid you know squarely uh, at the feet of reed richards super scientist you know, I don't have enough faith in <laughs> DeFalco. I was uh, going to say, I, yeah, I, I just, I think if nothing else, the opposite is true. Mm -hmm. 
I think that DeFalco is trying to make the argument that Reed is the ultimate member of the Fantastic Four, and so is the only character who can be its ultimate enemy. Right. I think so. I mean, I, but I think that there is, and that's what is really weird about the comic, is on the one hand, it is like, okay, we don't have Reed, you know, that leads to an increase in the quote-unquote drama, and yet one of the things that I feel is kind of weird about these stories is how much since Reed has died, like, it, it feels like the whole point of the stories are kind of more or less sort of the opposite. Like Sue and Ben and Johnny are lost. Like, do you remember like it was a real early FF where, where the, the rest of the FF get tired of Reed and Reed in true Stanley Dick fashion is like, Oh, okay. You're tired of me. I, I'm tired of you. You morons. Exactly. Go yeah, ahead yeah, and, none you of know. you, none of you could be the leader of the team. Exactly. And then, to me, there was always kind of half an idea of that because it sort of is, you know, again, it was it was Lee being Lee, so it doesn't always prop up in the art. But I did kind of like the idea of like, what if the FF is a team that despite itself can't quite hang together without, you know, for lack of a better... I, I don't want it to be read, but I'm also fascinated that this is a book for whom... At this point, like say around 393, if we were to add up all the issues in which one member of the true Fantastic Four is not actually fighting side by side with the rest of the team, it's it's a pretty high count, don't you think? You know, so mm-hmm. so there's a way in which it's sort of like I don't even know what you're trying to say here, uh, Tom DeFalco, and I'm sure the answer is nothing, but. Apart from... Well, I, I, I think that what he's trying to say is we've got to get another issue. <laughs> right. It sounds worse than it means. I guess what I'm trying to say is, you know, the 1990s were a point where everyone mm-hmm. from Superman on down is taking like significant swings at the status quo. Yeah. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And 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 the, the concept even, mm-hmm. you know, you've got a death of Superman, you've got uh, Nightfall, you've got Green Lantern going evil, you've got, you know, the Clone Saga. Right. So you've got a lot of things where people are literally being like, what if, but it's not. And I think that's, that thinking is definitely playing into what DeFalco's doing. Mm-hmm. But I think beyond that, he has absolutely no plan. Right. And, and to be fair, I think the next few issues really demonstrate that. Oh, yeah. I, I would say that is... I, I think that if, if nobody gets out alive is his like I'm doing a big thing the the next issues when he is essentially doing what what other writers have done like Thomas did it back before 200 mm-hmm. which is like the team is broken up we'll follow the individual members mm-hmm. just show that he's like oh, I, I I literally don't know what to do now yeah yeah well and and perhaps unsurprisingly it's kind of got that je ne sais like oh we're coming up on a hundredth issue, right? Just as we did right before 200, where it's like, it's like, hmm, maybe I can just keep everyone apart. And then for issue 400, maybe we could bring back the four. I mean, who knows? I'm sure that that's the expectations that he's building for us. Oh, God, Graham. Okay, do you want to recap choices or do you want to argue? Because I don't think there's, I, I agree with you in in the sense of, yeah, that, that, that Ryan's got, uh, that, DeFalco's got some confused meta going on there. But I'm fascinated. Again, we've 
the idea that he follows up like the 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 Kirby Lee issues with the um, it's not days of recent past because that's the recap story at the beginning. But choices, which is kind of nuts, right? There's yeah. the weirdest like re- why is there a recap story at the start of this issue? Yeah, I I I I think because they they that idea of like oh we have to tell what the new status quo is. I mean, I guess I mean it 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 almost makes sense in the way that there there really is the whole thing about Johnny and Elijah's baby is like pretty heavy duty closing of a long term storyline especially with what you assume is the end of it as each of them fly off in their own separate ways uh and so i think but i mean it's it's literally just happened and he gives over it like six pages of the comic yeah to scott lang basically being like hey kids this is what you've missed and even more impressively None of that really, really plays into the, the choices, the issue that follows. No, no, not at all. You know, it's it's the strangest placement for that story. You mm-hmm. you could imagine Days of Recent Past being a thing, you know, when the team gets back together, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, to really, like, talk about that. But it's literally the next issue, and it's a recap of what has just happened. Yeah. yeah. That, that doesn't feed into choice at all. Were you going to say, before we, we got off track... Were you going to say that Choices is a burn issue? Yes. Because it is. It, right. It's literally like just after DeFalco and Ryan have, I mean, even saying ripped off feels too polite. Yes. Have, have you know, desecrated the corpse there of the Kirby run. <laughs> That's accurate. Um, yeah. You know, they, they then pretty much rip off Terror ter- ter- in a Tiny what? Town. Yeah, exactly. They revisit it for no other re- reason than to kind of give a bit of ju- the juice from that and and to also kind of really minimize it really yeah i don't know what they were thinking there uh, essentially people so right we'll recap super fast days of recent past is a it's five, a recap sorry r- you don't need page. to recap it yeah exactly so if you've been reading the only thing new is that scott lang eats a pizza it then follows <laughs> Choices where uh, Ben has been called down to Yancey Street by the puppet master who gasses him. Um, and then when he wakes up, Ben, that is, he is with Alicia, who's sculpting a bust. It's all kind of like very pleasanty. The FF is all back together. It's literally well, and, and the, noticeably yeah. Ben's face is fine. Ben's face is fine, right? That's a big tip off right there, of course. Uh yeah, there I mean, this is the thing that's kind of crazy is is for whatever reason the whole idea that this is a fake reality is supposed to come off as a surprise to us and the big moment of it being a super surprise for Ben that makes him wake up is that Reed is still alive. Um well, except again, that doesn't make him properly wake up. Like, yes, he, he sees Reed and he knows something's wrong, but he doesn't wake up until the puppet master wakes him up. Well, yes, absolutely, and 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 that is the big point. Is is when Ben does the hey, I broken through because that thing was so crazy. I woke up, and the, like puppet master's like, no, no, no. I just I deliberately woke you up. You know, it was like my stepdaughter was so depressed and despondent after you abandoned her. I only wanted to make her happy. I, thus, I recreated a world and time she loved. I've given her the life she most desires, the life she would choose for herself. And Ben's like, but it isn't real. And the puppet master's like, well, 
it is to her do i allow her to linger in this comforting cocoon of fantasy and memory or should i condemn her to the harsh and uncaring reality which has brought her so much pain uh so i guess the whole point is the puppet master has brought ben back to see the inside of alicia's reality because the fact is he doesn't need ben to be in that reality for alicia to continue to have it right like it mm -hmm. it's one of those classic like what's his whole point his whole point is i guess to show ben have ben really experience what alicia's feeling so that he can more or less help the puppet master make the choice like because he doesn't know he's like does he leave her like shut down in sort of this very happy never never land or should they wake her up and mm -hmm. ben's like i understand why you did it but you got to learn to move on and deal with the present that fantasy world is a lie and alicia deserves better um and then he's kind of like i belong to her past i'd only hold her back it's time the two of us got on with our separate lives and started thinking about the future and again I feel like the the meta of this story is, yeah, is right? strong. Yeah, it's super strong. And again, I have this thing of after more or less turning his back on the Lee and Kirby FF, you have him, you have DeFalco and Ryan turn around and turn their back on the the what burn was promising terror in a tiny town is kind of the first real burn launch issue in many ways i mean it's not because it's diablo but but it's very you know it's like a real well, high, I, I, early I, I highlight yeah yeah i was gonna say it's arguably like the first burn classic yes absolutely i think they're doing more than just turning their back on burn mm -hmm. i think with Ben very clearly like saying you've got to move on like it's 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 meant to sell the we're turning her back in the Fantastic Four right right you know it it it's not only Burn that they're they're doing this to mm -hmm. and you do get in this issue you know glimpses of what the rest of the team is up to Johnny hilariously tries to go back to school at ESU <laughs> and, and understandably the team's like no you set the entire place on fire no. <laughs> Which is only makes sense, but I love yeah. that Johnny thought he could just go back to school in the place he destroyed. Yeah, it it's amazing. Sadly, that also features the revelation that Elijah is following him around disguised as as a human. Oh yeah, which is, I mean, just exhausting because this is what the third breakup of Elijah and Johnny now. There's not even a, a gap between issues when when. The blonde woman who's staring at Johnny in the return of everyone's like most forgettable like supporting character, Bridget O'Neill, like you actually see her turn into jealous old Lija. I groaned. And this again, the superhero romance has been the only thing that's been keeping me like from just being sheerly miserable through this unending shit slog. And now they've gotten to the point where they're like, ah, you thought it was done, but it's not. I'm like, oh, God, no. Exactly. Why can't it be done? Yeah. I thought we'd come to the agreement that it was done. Yeah. It's it's kind of amazing that they don't have the patience to even, like, wait an issue for that reveal. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, like, show someone staring at them, and then the next issue go, oh, it's Lija. Don't get me wrong. Everyone would have worked out it was Lija in the first place. But don't put the reveal in the same issue. See, I actually do think that I wouldn't have figured it out. They just needed a little bit of misdirection. Because there's a little bit of, no one would bring them back 
that soon, right? Like, I really was surprised. I just was not surprised in anything like a good way, you know? You get that, but you also get Sue. Oh, right. Sue, Sue has gone searching for reeds by going back to Castle Doomstad, where she meets Doctor Doom. But get this, it's not Doctor Doom. Just as, again, we already know, yeah. it's Nathaniel Richards. Again, something that we know is played as a surprise again. Yep. It's super fucking weird the way this comic keeps doing that. Yeah. Um, so what he does do, however, is after Sue slaps him, always a good thing to do to a person with an iron helmet on. <laughs> sure. Like, I'm sad that you don't see Sue afterwards being like, oh, fuck, that was a dumb thing to do. <laughs> um, but Nathaniel says, I'm searching for my son. You should help me. And she's like, what? Mm-hmm. And that's essentially the, the all you're getting of that plot, this issue. But it does, this issue tries to sell and... To the extent that anything works in this run of issues, I think this issue succeeds in selling the idea that maybe the FF isn't about to get back together immediately. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. That was that was not in any part of my brain. On the other hand, again, I'm not really sure that I because there has been so much with the FF where for so long DeFalco and Ryan have been running three stories per issue like there's there's like the subplots are driving the plot so much oh sure yeah that... and, and there's not really any a plot anymore like yeah. the, the subplots have exactly the same amount of space and weight exactly. which is it's, for my money is a problem uh, right right and, and that's not entirely true here i mean this is definitely the things issue yes like the, his story does get more space than the subplots yes but but yeah like we've it, the team has split up and yet the book reads the same because we're so used to to that separated storytelling. Yeah, right. So it just it it that that feeling didn't really have much weight for me. I I want to give a quick shout out. I know we should move on to the next issues, but I have to mention the awesome website. The FF is Great American Novel, uh, where um, gosh, I I should mention his fantastic name because he's so awesome, and I don't have a web browser open. The the uh, amazing website which looks at the entire run of the Fantastic Four as if it was one story and more or less comes to the pretty fabulous uh, theory that may, of how it all makes sense, which is essentially that that it is Franklin who has been more or less keeping the FF in stasis the whole time. Uh, I, I start to feel like because issue three it's it's almost the only way that 393 makes sense is it's almost a gnostic meditation on the idea of you know we're trapped in a false reality and admittedly the false reality is the one that the puppet master has built up for alicia but all the stuff that ben is saying that we're supposed to be is you know make a case for um the ff really doesn't although i have to say that now that i look at it he really runs the the great american novel he says runs from 61 through about 89 so it'll be very interesting he does go on to talk about the franklin verse as a concept i feel like some of these issues because it's weird having defalco come to the same point that Engelhart more or less revisits but in a really different weird way you know what I mean? Like just as the same yeah. way that you get 
you know, Englehart, who's got this whole storyline where somebody is trying to force the Fantastic Four to be the same whole thing over and over again, and it's wrong. Like, you get Tom DeFalco literally playing that out, like, 50-some-odd issues later, and more or less coming to the same conclusion. And it's strange how often that comes up, despite everyone being committed to the, you know business as usual to the bit yeah yeah exactly but, well here's the thing do you think defaco does come to the same conclusion because i'm not sure he does i i think Engelhart comes to the conclusion that essentially the ff has to be evolutionary right and and, and cannot remain static right and i feel that defaco comes to the conclusion that the ff has a golden period mm. and that the only way it can evolve is to try and recreate that golden period, which, to my mind, is the antithesis of evolution. I, uh, which I agree with you. the The weird part about DeFalco is because he is a dude who, um, enjoys Marvel formula, plays with Marvel formula, and even though we see him doing a whole ton of '90s stuff here, that I would almost believe if it had been either a some other writer or b that that the last 30 some odd issues or three years of books that we've been reading more or less shows defalco like bluffing the degree to which all of that shit is just a bluff you know mm -hmm. is is really uh so it is kind of I feel I I see your point, but that point I feel is the opposite of what's being said in the story. But DeFalco is not really paying attention to what he's saying in the story. He knows what he's got to do to have the story hit the traditional Marvel poignant beats of blank, blank, and blank. But I don't think that he really cares about that. I, it's fascinating. I haven't seen the other stuff that DeFalco's doing um, in in. Because, you, you know, in Marvel in the 90s or the late 80s, but this definitely has a lot of, um, it's far less retro than I would expect. And when the retro comes in, in part, uh, part of that is because Paul Ryan is as far as you can get from Rich Buckler aping, you know, Jack Kirby as you can get. It has, it's got a very, it's got a very strange feel to it and nothing about it which is amazing for a book that has had this same creative team right down to the inker for three years still doesn't feel cohesive you know what yeah, i mean exactly it's still it still feels not exactly like a film team but like a team that doesn't know what they want to do yeah, yeah or or it's a team that yeah right or the extent to which they they they've sort of done the Okay, every time that you would expect us to zig, we're going to zag, except on those parts where you expect us to zag. And then we're going to zig and show that we're just a traditional Marvel book after all. Um, like, But it feels like there is no bigger game plan than that, than, than kind of like, oh, what's going to, you know, how am I going to keep this subplot rolling? How am I going to make it seem like I've got a new subplot up my sleeve, whether or not I actually do? And how can I get through whatever I've decided that I want to put in this issue, which in the case of 394 is White Wingfoot and She-Hulk and 
like kind of a revisit to one of the more embarrassing FF stories. It's kind of like a remake of that. It's, I mean, this is, 394 is, is kind of terrible, right? The yeah. day of its return. And the short version is, do you remember before we had a story about Wyatt Wingfoot's going home and his tribe basically fought a cursed totem? Yeah. Yeah, it's that again. But this time She-Hulk and Lyja are in the mix. Yep. The end. Yeah. The best thing you can say is maybe they're such fans of the original. <laughs> right. Tribute yeah. to it. Yeah. I mean, really seriously. Mm -hmm. With the best will in the world, maybe trying to make some points about cultural appropriation by having it be the white um, archaeologist. Mm-hmm. Who, who is is essentially possessed mm -hmm. by by the evil spirit, but like that's really giving them the benefit of of every single doubt that yeah. I don't really think they deserve. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like it's 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 much more realistic that they were like, it's Johnny's solo issue. What are we gonna do? Uh, have him race cars? No, let's not have him race cars. Uh, go back to school? No, we've already said he can't go back to school. Uh, what What are the other Johnny solo plots? Uh, remember that White Wingfoot issue? Yep. That I I would exactly. be far, far more willing to believe that. Yeah, me too. Which is weird because here I am being like, yeah, it's like they're revisiting different past eras from the FF and more or less discounting them. I'm like, but not here. <laughs> well, but that's just it. Like they're revisiting past eras and and you know discounting them. This is not a not actually discounting anything. No, it really but isn't. You like it's a lie to be like remember that wide Wingford era. But maybe that is maybe that is the idea of like maybe this is what Tom Defalco I, really is kind of being like. This is great. Like this is what I want from my comics. Like you know just cultural you know cultural appropriation and goofiness and the idea that it's more or less a self-contained issue that that has you know that's like it's got it's got everything you want it's got a dragon it's got the it's got Johnny being Johnny it's got some subplots like well, it's I mean, got she holds throwing like, things it, ha it has what Douglas Wolk once pointed out on his his wonderful Tumblr about like you know reading Marvel comics as a classic Marvel trope of the I have to do this I have to I have to I must I must <laughs> you know like that that's the conclusion and again it, it's it's this story makes no sense mm -hmm. like Johnny literally burns the evil out of the archaeologist dude by going Nova yep what yeah. how yeah, like that. I mean, it literally makes no sense. Yep. But but it's it's what happens. It's just. I mean, it's just a mess. It's mm -hmm. honestly like a, a a fucking disaster of a comic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> as you would expect. Uh, also on the dig is Elijah in disguise as this woman because she's chasing after Bridget O'Neill. The for fuck knows what reason returns not love interest of the human torch mm -hmm. she's irish and she's spunky and what point is she playing here really who fucking knows right right yeah a little bit of a plot engine because of course she had mentioned that she was into archaeology and going out to this dig in this neck of the woods which is why johnny's here which is why elijah's here to actually 
I and I gotta say the fact that that when they are uh fighting the ridiculous like Raptor the Revengeful or whatever the fuck his name is, uh that that Lysha in disguise a still wants to help and B does actually help by like. Yeah you know, thunking a can of fuel and rolling it toward the dragon and telling the torch to ignite it. And I got to admit, when the torch afterwards was kind of like, who is that chick? I find her kind of interesting. I'd like to get to know her. Like, I kind of had this weird, like, see, if they just waited a few issues for this, this would totally work for me. Cause... Or even, like, if the, if you'd had that and you didn't have the scenes where she revealed she was Lysha. Yes. If she was basically just, like, this random woman yeah. who shows up and helps out. Right. With mysterious... With, looks like maybe she's got mysterious powers, which, again, is the sort of bullshit that, you know, DeFalco and Ryan would do f- endless amounts of, you know, subplot patty cake for dozens of issues. And here they just kind of give the whole game up. And I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of a bummer, you know? But the idea... Right? There, 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 are, there are ways to have made the story good. This is the running theme of this episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there, is, yeah. there is a lot of potential with everything that they're doing. They're just not realizing. Yeah, yeah. I I totally agree. They're just not. They're just letting it sit there and lie dead on the page, and it's and it's kind of a shame. I'm really into like what's a more classic kind of romantic idea than a guy who keeps falling in love with the same woman, even though he doesn't know that it's the same woman. Like that's kind of that's you know that's a that's a that's a absolutely solid idea for yeah. For there's a there's plot. genuinely something there. Yeah. If you Jones know? keeps ending up going, who is this mysterious woman? And the mysterious woman is always the same person. Right. Exactly. And even no, like there, there's genuinely something there to play with. Even flipping it on its side, like I know that everyone is kind of like there was that very weird shout out to Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo that that Chris Claremont works into X Men, where Scott Summers meets Madeline Pryor you know, and who is the dead ringer for Jean Grey and becomes obsessed with her. And Scott and Madeline are the two of the names. I don't remember if Jean's the other one from the characters in Vertigo. But, you know, it doesn't seem to really add up to shit all for such a long time. And then when it does, it's even more shit all. But there's a part in... Hitchcock's Vertigo, where you get to see the story from, and spoilers everyone for who haven't seen Vertigo. I, can't I was going to say, you're literally about to ruin Vertigo for people. <laughs> I am. I totally am. I apologize, everyone. But one of the cool things about Vertigo is the way in which the story changes two-thirds of the way through, and you finally get to see things from Kim Novak's character, and you understand what's going on with the story, and it's one of the things that's really great about it is Hitchcock doing so much about um, uh, telling stories from the male and female point of view, really. And once you see it from the woman's point of view, you're like, this is a whole different story than the one that I thought that I was, that that I thought that it was. And so in a weird way in which, you know, um, Scotty is obsessed with Madeline, not aware of how much Kim Novak's character is actually in love with him. There is something that that is weirdly closer to that formula with the idea that Lija is 
obsessed with Johnny and Johnny doesn't even know it's her and is obsessed with her, you know? And I'm like, oh, that could be like, again, I'm like perfectly solid shit. I'd be into it if it wasn't being, if it was being handled any other way than the way in which it was being handled. So yeah, which it, which is very much the feeling of these issues. Yeah. Like that, that's just a running theme. Yeah. Uh, we should say very quickly, there are two subplots. One is a thing subplot in which he is basically grumpy and uh, has been contacted by Wolverine, but he doesn't want to do anything with Wolverine. And in Castle Doom, uh, Sue is, is back in her new, new costume and wants her old costume burned because she's discarding the past and dedicating herself to the future. <laughs> and then... Nathaniel says that he might have found his son and then when Sue says have you actually, could you possibly, have you finally found Reeds? He says, dear woman, who's talking about Reeds? Which leads to just like the dumbest like reveal. <laughs> like honestly, just it, just dumb. This is in, in a collection of shitty comics. Um, it's the shittiest. Yeah. I, I would say 394 is really shitty, but I'd be really curious as to what you thought of 395. You're like, spoilers, oh, I, I, Jeff, I, I, it's shitty. <laughs> what do I think of 395? Jeff, this is what I'll tell you about payback exclamation point. I actually kind of liked it. See, I knew that that would be the case, and I kind of get it because it's it is – I would – argue to say that it is the one issue that comes the closest to succeeding on its own terms and so, and part of that is also the fact that I fell for the fake out because because it's the 90s because everyone has that like oh Wolverine fucked with them and now here's where they fuck with Wolverine you know a la the kind of the genre defining classic of that issue of the Hulk with uh, Peter David and Todd McFarlane I think I was like okay so here is DeFalco's gonna lean into the 90s and we're going to get like a big shitty super extreme fight where we yeah. show that Ben is is you know more extreme than Wolverine you know and I love the fact that that's that's 100% how it's set up and then it's a fake out and I, I was so relieved want, yes do you want to know why I like it sure it's an issue of Marvel 2 in one <laughs> but it is yeah yeah absolutely absolutely like it's the whole you know, it looks like it's going to be a fight, but they get interrupted by someone else mm -hmm. and they end up teaming up and they talk out their differences is entirely an issue of Marvel 2 and 1, which very much makes sense. DeFalco wrote, like, my run of 2 and 1. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, like, sure, that like that that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah. And even the end, like, the, the so the, the plot such as it is is... Wolverine has invited Ben to basically bury the hatchet. Ben goes with the intent of burying the hatchet in Wolverine's skull. Waka, waka, waka. <laughs> they are interrupted by an attack by, it turns out, the Mad Thinker's goons. But they're not alone because Ant-Man has joined them. Scott Lang has basically tagged along. And so it is the three of them versus the uh, the Mad Thinker's forces, which includes uh, Super Adaptoid. Right. It all works out because, of course, it all works out. Uh, but the end is particularly 
Marvel 2 and 1 to me, which is they basically send the math thinker in prison a photograph of the three of them drinking beers together. Yeah. There's something like so, I don't know, like goofy? Yeah. That I love it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I, I get it. I, I appreciate it in that sense. I appreciated the pivot. I appreciated the fight. I appreciated even right down to the whole retroness of the mad thinker thinks that he's got everything down, but because Scott Lang has, has, has jumped up as has shown up as X-Men, he's the classic element X that, that yeah. the mad thinker hadn't prepped for. And therefore you it's doing I think her one day would like work that shit out. Right. <laughs> I like it. He's like, he's meant to be a genius. And every single time, every single time he's like, like the one element I didn't think about. Right. Exactly. Like, that... You think he'd be like, listen, I've spent months thinking about this. Yeah. Like, I'm fairly sure I've got all the angles. Well, I, yeah. But this, like, this is not a surprise angle. Mm-hmm. Ant-Man, who has been hanging out with the thing, yeah. shows up, is not a surprise. Yep, yep. Like, you know, if Ant-Man had never been in the book before, sure, completely a surprise. Yep, yep. If it, if it wasn't Ant-Man, if it was the Hulk, if it was, like, even if it was fucking Spider-Man, more of a surprise than Ant-Man, who, again, is living with Ben Grimm. He's living with him and is the guy who tells him, like, hey, this thing showed up. Like, Wolverine's looking for you. Like, the Mad Thinker's like, eh. yeah, that's not going to... That, that, that can't be a factor. So one superhero tells another superhero that he's supposed to meet for a dramatic showdown with a third superhero that hates him. There's no way that... That other superhero is just going to mind his own fucking business. You know? So... Uh, yeah, it, that cracked me up. Um, again, on the subplot front, I sort of like the fact that, that Bridget O'Neill is hanging out with Lija, who calls herself Laura Green. Um, and Laura's like, so what's your feelings for the Human Torch? And she's like, oh, ha, 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 the Human Torch, hilarious. You know, do, do, do yourself a favor. Keep, a, you know, keep your distance. I doubt there's room for any woman in his heart right now. He's, you know, recently divorced and loved his wife very much. And Lysha is like, hmm, perhaps this disguise, which literally it says disguise, because someone decided that disguise is spelled with a Q, can be used to help ease Johnny's pain and heal his heart. Maybe Laura Green is the perfect woman to make him forget Lysha. You know... Again, if they hadn't just it's, gone it's kind of amazing. too far with the rest of it, I think that's not a bad hook. The whole idea that Lija, and again, it would probably be better if we didn't know it. But I have this thing of like the idea that she actually loves Johnny and is like, I will make up for being a terrible horrible person to him by pretending to be someone else. Like, like I will apologize for deceiving him by deceiving him is the sort of thing that I can almost buy. I'm like, sure, I can see that level of dysfunction working in the world. I, I believe this. And yet well, there, at the there's, same time. there's also like genuine uh, dramatic and comedic potential. Yes. In the idea that Elijah is going to be her own like rebound. Yes, exactly. You know? Uh-huh. Um but like you said like the execution is just it just works against the concept mm-hmm. like really dramatically mm-hmm. which again 
just is all the way through these comics. Yes. Do you, you want know? to talk about the the subplot with Sue and the cliffhanger, quote unquote? There. Do I have to? Glenn, <laughs> do you mean the cliffhanger over the fact that the flaming apparition shows up again for no fucking reason? No, it's the it's the bombshell that Nathan drop Nathaniel drops on her later. Oh, oh, the, but but can we talk about the fact that the flaming apparition shows up again? Yes. Which makes no sense. Yeah. And more to the point, should make no sense to Sue, who at this point has actually been the flaming apparition. Yes. Well, no, but I mean, I got to tell you. Why here? Why now? As opposed to, but wait. Yeah. Like, I know that was me and that's happened. Right. Well, honestly, I'm still confused over the fact that Tom DeFalco throws a bit of blabbity blab about Sue being forced to smooshed across all the timelines. But the fact is, the cause and effect of her popping up, we don't see her when in the earlier storyline at the end of No One Gets Out Alive, where she pops up and appears is not where she first appears in the original story. They only show her popping up for Namor and Ant-Man. And Sure, but I guess what I'm saying is, like, previously we have seen Sue yes. show up and say, I saw them die, Johnny and Ben are dead, twice. Yes. Right? Yeah. And we also have seen that that was Sue. At so least once. Even, even if... Yeah. Well, presumably both times. But even if this is the same flaming apparition it's still the person who is the apparition is appearing before right in the past so she should at least be like i never said that right well i guess is i don't remember is it this issue or next issue where sue works out the whole thing with the the watcher and four freedoms plaza is that i guess that's 396 yeah, it's 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 nice issue. Okay, so I uh, we'll talk about it there. But I think at that point, there's a little bit of in a way that is not good. Uh, DeFalco and Ryan are kind of being like, "Oh, remember that storyline we wrapped up, or did we?" And I'm just like, "Don't, don't do that, don't do that." Yeah. Let, okay, but let the the cliffhanger you were talking about is Nathaniel Richards basically says, "Oh, I'm Doctor Tim's dad." Right. Which is. I mean, what? <laughs> you know, I kind of... I, I, it, it's kind of great. Yes. Also, uh, you know what it is? It's actually a great idea. Yep. But like everything else in this run, I have zero faith that the execution will be anything other than dire. Right. And so ultimately I'm just left being like, what the fuck? Yes, exactly. And I think that there's a... What's fascinating to me is is it's played straight in this in in this issue at 395 it is the cliffhanger of sue being like no it it can't be and then in 396 we see them where she was like yeah like i was gonna fall for that shit and nathaniel's like well i can't blame a guy for trying waka waka that's what i'm saying i'm unreliable you can't doesn't matter if you torture me to get answers how can you believe them when i already said i fucked dr doom's mom you know and i was like that is like a fast fucking take back. Like he was like, how about this? And everyone was like, you can't do that. What's but that? this is the book. This is the book that has literally killed off all the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And then the very next month being like, only joking. Yeah. So sure. Like immediate take backs. No surprise. Yeah. 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 Well, I, I'm surprised that he didn't even want to tang- dangle it as a possibility. Like, I don't know. For a long 
Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like you said, you don't have any faith, but it has a little bit of the, it's kind of a neat little connector. Like I, I remember reading it being like, oh, that's not a bad idea. Sort of in the same way that again, as a basic what if concept, the idea that the watcher sends Reed and dooms the planet kind of makes a certain degree of like, oh yeah, you could you could milk a decent what if story out of that. You can you could milk a decent like dangling plot out of this one. And I'm surprised by how much they were like, ah like like do like Nathaniel Richards is going with this whole other thing of like, yeah, help find all my other mysterious kids, whoever they are, well, I'm not well, going to say to be, or am I To be fair, in mm-hmm. in three ninety six, uh In Search of Doom Yes. They don't fully take it back. Sue says very clearly like it's absurd. Yeah. And then it was like, you know, you didn't like it, sure I can tell you something else, you can't trust me. But he doesn't explicitly say I'm not Jim Stat. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I suppose. You know, like, like, you're, you're, you're play, like, you, you get to. Right. Uh, he gets to have, gets to have his cake and eat it. A little bit. Because, yeah. like, because, like, Sue is essentially the reader who's like, yeah, no fucking way. Right. But, but by not explicitly rejecting it, mm-hmm. he does leave the possibility out there. It's just that nobody believes it, like, including us. Right. Right. Yeah, no, and that's true. It could it could be a thing. Could be a thing. But uh but it's weird that it's left and it's true. Maybe it's like I open it up, close it off, but don't really close it off, but it really does seem like he's basically trying to be like, okay, let's let's forget that ever happened. Uh Doom Quest. But moving on. In search says. of doom. You should recap this one cuz A, I always take too long and B, I don't even want to think about this issue. I just really don't. <laughs> I I mean it it opens with what we've just described. Mm-hmm. Sue essentially confronts Nathaniel and is like, "No, you're fucking lying, right?" Yeah. And he does not say yes or no. Mm-hmm. He he basically is like, "Maybe I am. You can't trust me," which is a very uh, frustrating choice. Like mm-hmm. I can see why Defaco does want to have his cake and eat it. Yeah. But it's also very frustrating and unbelievable to me that Sue essentially is like, I can force you to talk. And he's like, yeah, but but I could lie. And it's like both of them just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. Seems very unsatisfying to me. Cut back anyway to Four Freedoms Plaza where the odd couple that is Scott Lang, who at this point has got red hair again, he keeps switching from red to blonde in these issues yeah. with abandon. Mm-hmm. All I'm going to pretend is that he's been dyeing his hair a lot, but it's very inconsistent. <laughs> anyway, he is hilariously laughing at a Fantastic Four cartoon that was airing at the time. Ha 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 ha. You'll be destroyed in the ratings, he says. This is terrible. Waka waka waka. The thing destroys the TV just in time for the flaming Sue to show up. This time, she's not saying anything. She's just on fire and showing up. It's just, like, it's a weird creative choice. Mm -hmm. And it's immediately suggested on the very next page that it is a a fake-out. It's a fake-out on behalf of the Watcher, who is now, because it's the 90s, watching everyone on a bank of televisions. <laughs> Again, wacky, wacky choice. Yep. He is also talking to someone in silhouette because that's what we do now. Yep. And this person's silhouette seems to know exactly what the Watcher is up to and thinks that it is not going to work. But are they going to explain it? Are they fuck? 
there's a reason this guy's in silhouette, and that is they don't want you to know what they're up to, but they want you to know that they're up to something. That's right. Sue and Nathaniel get in the time sled and, I was going to say fly to, teleports to Tibet, mm-hmm. where they are immediately met with mugs with laser guns who destroy the time sled, which I kind of love, actually. Yeah. And as Sue is fighting with the, the monks, Nathaniel disappears, cuts back to Johnny, who is now over all of his angst, mm-hmm. magically somehow he actually says the past few months have taken a terrible toll but i'm finally starting to loosen up heck i'm the original fun loving party boy the high love high flying uh, human torch i forgot how to speak the high flying human torch <laughs> not some eight or attentive whiner like spider-man men want to be like me women want to be with me i'm just thrilled to be me here's what i want to point out about that a entirely unconvincing b that is the most steve engelhardt tom devalco has ever managed to be that is true that is totally true yeah it is amazing he flirts with disguised elijah not realizing of course that it's elijah elijah has an amazing like info dump in a thump balloon reminding everyone what's going up <laughs> then flaming sue shows up again completely silent and Johnny's like, oh, Sue, fuck this, having quit the Fantastic Four. I'm going to go and take care of it. And Elijah, having seemingly forgotten that she can change shape, yes. goes, I'm going to get a car and fly to the nearest airport. Why? Yeah. You can turn into like a bird. Yes. Why are you doing this? <laughs> Meanwhile, back in Tibet, uh, Sue is, is wandering around and is, is, meets the, the one foe that could defeat her. And this is actually kind of smart. A blind monk mm-hmm. who doesn't give a shit about invisibility. Yeah. I, I do kind of love that. Mm-hmm. And it's discovered, uh, shocked to discover that inside the the monk's lair, there uh, is some advanced technology, including two figures in cryo chambers. What's going on? Is it Reed? Who the fuck knows? Because then he shoots her in the back and then decides that he's going to wake at least one of them up without a single qualm, without absolutely no hesitation. He says, I will gladly, eagerly unloose total and unrelenting evil upon this unsuspecting world. And you see smoke swirl around a figure with a particularly impressive jaw mm-hmm. to be continued. Dum, dum, dum. There's a couple of things noticeable about, notable about this issue. One, mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yes. Like, it's an issue that you kind of immediately forget after you read. Yeah. Uh, Despite, again, lots of things happen, but none of it sticks in the brain. Mm -hmm. But two, it really emphasizes, as you were saying before, nothing ever ends in this comic. Yeah. Like, after nobody gets out alive, we are back to Flaming Sue. Yep. The Watcher is manipulating everyone. Yep. And there is a mysterious figure who knows all the answers. Mm-hmm. This same fucking setup yeah. that we had six issues ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking weird. The, the deja vu that is entirely purposeful. Yeah, It's so strange to very deliberately go, that's right, we're, we're doing the same thing again. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's, it's really, really strange. I know you told me that you wanted me to recap because I, I do it faster. Mm-hmm. But in, in all seriousness, is it also because you forgot about this issue? No, and no. I'm not joking. It's that, like, I, I'm, I was being serious when I said that this issue almost, like, makes you forget it as you read. Yeah, I, I think there is something to that. Like, I could have said, like, each of the little bits and pieces, but I, I think one of the things that is really 
uh, slippery for me whenever we try and recap these things is whatever one little grain of uh, of movement forward that the narrative has I can never get the scene right like it's it's like I feel like every time I try to recap these issues I stumble into a hall of mirrors because every scene's the same from issue to issue except with minor variations and I can never remember what the minor variations are like the whole thing that you ought to like Sue realizes kind of out of nowhere that the whole idea that that people had built the um, statues of the Fantastic Four and the ruins of the Four Freedoms Plaza because Galactus ate the Earth, she quite sensibly points out, wait a minute, Galactus showed up back when it was the Baxter Building before there was the Four Freedoms Plaza. If she if he destroyed that planet, then what the hell? Why? How could that? How did the Four Freedoms Plaza come to be? Which makes like sense in the sense of it's confusing it was like oh shit i didn't notice that either sue's then next conclusion that uatu was therefore lying to them and using them is to put it mildly not a conclusion that i believe that she could actually jump to and then of course we're supposed to believe that that is the point at which we're jumping but the other part of it is the whole like nathaniel's like okay you've got to come with me to this thing the fact that they're on the time sled really exacerbates the idea of like are is dr doom like are they back in time is this yeah exactly because like, the they're, they're not present? They don't, uh, yeah they yeah. don't appear to be using time sled to travel through time at any point yeah like sue gets the time sled at the end of 392 mm-hmm and takes off but seems to only use it to travel in space not in time right and again that seems to be the case here Mm -hmm. they don't seem to be traveling in time and so destruction of the time sled does not really seem to be a major thing because it's like well we could just find some other way to get out of tibet right and so i for myself also with the time sled and because of DeFalco's like various takebacks, I'm like, and the fact that we've had no less than two storylines that ended up taking place on alternate Earths, I'm like, I have no idea if this is legit. And there, there's, there is a little bit of the, it, the idea that Reed and Doom, maybe they are hiding in some other aspect of the multiverse, is I think a potentially solid idea it's just mm-hmm. as with everything else in this run by this point nothing is ever given any solidity whatsoever we're in a constant realm of defalco kind of doing like well maybe they are and maybe they aren't and maybe he is and maybe he's not and oh did you fall for that that time well that's because that was the that was a fake timeline oh but wait the four freedoms plaza was there so it was a different fake timeline than the timeline that the watcher said because the watchers got something going on but what is it is it a or is it b guess what it might be c if i can think of a c quickly enough before we get to that issue which might be two issues from now or might be 30 you know? Yeah, it's like... uh, but also, like, is it A or is it B? Is mm-hmm. is being polite as well, because he pretty much consistently goes, is it A or B, neither of which exists yet. Right, yeah. What does it mean? Yep. And there's like, you know, is it this silhouette? Yeah. You know, and, and there's no, none of this is Playfair Mysteries. Yeah, right. You know, and, and, and that's, that's one of the things that's so frustrating about this run as a whole, mm-hmm. because... 
DeFalco is just playing everything as like, what is the meaning? What is going on? There's a mystery going on. But not only is it not playing around mysteries, it can't be. Because he continually shows when he resolves these storylines that he didn't have a fucking clue. Right. Right. And I think there is something to be said for... I, you know, if 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 we had but world enough in time, Graham, it would be interesting to break down the what what are our expectations of a superhero comic book? Like, you and I both love, for example, the amazing Elf with a Gun storyline subplot from Defenders back in the seventies, where an Elf with a Gun shows up in Steve Gerber's run and runs around shooting people randomly at the end of each issue, and then. At the end of it, uh, himself, before he gets to shoot someone, ends up being like run over by a bus or something. And we never find out about where that storyline was going. There's lots of times where people plant seeds for stories. And again, Chris Claremont, absolutely 100% the undisputed master of this, who is... Um, you know, it's like, where I'm planting the seed for this story... I may not even know where it's going to go, you know, or if I have a solid idea, and I think this is something that usually helps with Claremont, is he's got an idea, it just may not necessarily be the idea that he uses when he finally gets mm-hmm. back to it multiple years later, mm-hmm. you know? And Well, but here, here's the, the difference about Elf with a Gun and what's going on with Fantastic Four. Oh, yeah. The entire book of Defenders was not Elf with a Gun. Yeah, that's right. You know, and right now, all of FF is essentially Elf with a Gun. Yeah. And yet, Elf with a Gun, in a way that is not as fun Mm -hmm. and more ridiculous. And when I say ridiculous, I really mean credibility straining. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that's really strange is you can have a, like, oh, my chain is being yanked or oh, the person doesn't know where this particular subplot is going, or, oh, there's a little bait and switch. And all of those things are the fun of superhero comics. And yet, you've, I feel like the, this, enti- this section of the FF is a huge reminder, uh, is, is a huge warning lesson of you kind of can't have just that. You know, you have to have something else. And I find it fascinating because to me, I do think that there's something to be said where, like, I I feel Kirby during his time on the FF had sort of subplots that ran through the book, but generally about other characters. And Kirby himself was not especially, uh, oh, I'm thinking in the long term with these subplots kind of Yeah, no, guy. exactly. You yeah. know, he's much more like I would rather throw in whatever I think is interesting this month. And DeFalco is playing the the exact opposite of that, you know, to and it's fascinating that as we come up on the end of volume one of the Fantastic Four, who knows where it's going to go. But we have someone who is almost relentlessly dedicated to doing the exact opposite of the way that the book sort of started and flourished in the first hundred issues. And again, I understand sort of the temperament of the times, but it just, 
it's missing something. It's that weird. It's like Mad Thinker. It's like there's an element X that is missing here that I just wish I could kind of figure out what what it is. And I think it's uh, it's got to be. I would like to think that it's more than just faith in the creators, but I'm not. Sh- I don't know if it is or not. You know. Well, it's. I mean, is it not potentially faith in the characters, faith in the creation? Maybe. Because th- this is this is a Fantastic Four book that has, I mean, fr- from before when Reed was was killed, mm-hmm. had no real faith in the Fantastic Four. Right. right. You know, and is is it? It's not even doing a deconstructionist take mm-hmm. or revisionist take. It's pretty much just being like, oh, but let's just ignore that. Yeah. Like, let's just overwrite the concept as opposed to let's address the concept. Well, and and maybe in that sense, maybe the the FF as the first Marvel superhero book is hitting that same problem that the rest of Marvel or any superhero universe hits at a certain point, which is it can only move forward so far before it ceases to resemble the original concept whatsoever you know and or the continuity there can only be so much change even if you even if you manage to consciously undo everything that previous teams consciously have done what are you what are you left with you know like the ff or i think to me i think there's a case to be made the fantastic four is the first comic because it is at this point, the longest-running, you know, quote-unquote, continual continuity comic to start feeling like it's running out of space, you know? Like, there's only yeah, so I mean, far I, you can I, go. I would say that, like, at this point, the book has demonstrated that it has run out of space. Mm-hmm. There are popular runs that follow this, mm-hmm. but is there really a forward-thinking run after this right. that works? I mean, I know a lot of people will say Hickman, but to be honest, Hickman's playing with an awful lot of the same ideas that are in this run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, when I was thinking about the Dark Raider killing off all the right. alternate universe reads, I'm like, oh, that's, uh, huh. Like, right? That's yeah. super strange. Yeah. Because yeah. how many people read Hickman's run and was like, oh, wait, the, the Council of Ultimate Reads right. is, is the Dark Raider. Exactly. It's just kind of a jog to the right instead of a jog to the left, you know, and it's, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that I think a lot of people would say Hickman and. I mean, for everyone that loves Wade and Marengo. Right. And I, I like, I'm including myself in that. And yeah. I like the Claremont run as well. Yeah. They're really retro. You're right. No, exactly. They're they're very much let's recapture the magic. Well, and, but again, I feel like there is that like how can you recapture the magic without trampling over shit that's you know shit that someone else had to do that you either have to consciously undo or ignore. You know, it's kind of well, just I, that. I can't. Yeah. No. That's, exactly. That's, but as I'm saying, like I, I think yeah. we are at the point in the history of the comic at this point. Yeah. Where where the FF as a concept has run out of, of forward motion. Yeah. And that's not to say it can't be a good comic, mm-hmm. but it's in a really strange way. It's possible that Engelhart 
Engelhardt's theory was wrong. Mm-hmm. And that there's only so far that you can evolve the book. Well, I mean, my caveat was, like, you can only evolve the book so far before it ceases to be what it was or it ceases to be quote-unquote recognizable. And it, and there's some, I think there's something to be said for what what does the marketplace want from a Fantastic Four comic? Like, that's a question right? that every everyone has to settle. But sometimes even when you've got a creative team that doesn't just want to do the greatest hits, you get, you know, the readers complaining that you don't have that that it's not the ff anymore you know um there was a comment that one of the whatnots threw in on our uh i think our previous thread over at waitwhatpodcast.com um where uh, our previous last baxter building issue where they quote from um a series of articles that were done interviews that were done with the various fantastic four creative oh, yeah, teams the, yeah it's, it's a book called comic creators on fantastic four which is great by the way yeah oh okay i i would love to love to read that after this there you know because it's because and one of the things is that defalco is saying like yeah you know the angrier the fans got the more copies they bought you know mm -hmm. and i'm i'm sort of like Ugh, you know but but what is what is fascinating to me about that reading these issues is mm -hmm. how much of what we're reading is defalco going against his own yes impulse in order to sell the book yeah yeah you know because we we've multiple times talked about you know this is this is not necessarily a heartless take on the team mm -hmm. but a, but a take that is definitely intended to sell mm -hmm. you know rather than to be like you know i don't know artistically coherent or whatever right and when you read that, you're like, it's like, does Defalco hate what he's doing? But right. he's like, it's selling, so fuck it. Right, right. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said, the, my most generous take is is that Defalco is that it's that he's a, he associates the FF with Marvel Comics, and as the f flagship title, it's almost his responsibility to make it sell, no matter what it takes. And so exactly, but what it takes is something that even he is like, you know, right? That this is bullshit. Like it, it, we talked in the, in a previous episode about like the need for sincerity with Fantastic Four. Mm -hmm. Seeing that quote really sort of brought back the, like, what if this is just like massively insincere? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, which would explain why uh, the the plates keep spinning, but like. There's so little resolution and there's even everything feels so um, it just feels it feels at this point it's it's gone on long enough that you're like it feels inattentive. The It doesn't feel like De, DeFalco might be professional enough to kind of keep everything quote unquote moving or do everything in his power to give the illusion of movement. But he doesn't I can't imagine that he cares because if you would think if he cares there would be a little more of a um a little more attention paid to these stories although again who knows maybe since he's also got other significant duties in Marvel at the time maybe that's just asking too much from him so mm -hmm. I don't know it's very it's 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 a strange and depressing little way to to see the book kind of start to wind down i mean of course people reading this and i think even defalco you know and ryan publishing it at the time didn't know that there's 
really only two years left of the Fantastic before before there's a huge status quo change. But you know, it's it's a little weird reading it now because it you can't tell to what extent. Like maybe they did know, and this is all the most ridiculous vamping, you know that that they just knew was was going to get undone or didn't necessarily matter. Well, that's just it. Like literally, there's 20 issues to go mm-hmm. at this point. Mm-hmm. The book runs to 416. There's 20 issues to go. There's less than two years to go. Yeah. At what point did negotiations with Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld start? Yeah. Right. It couldn't. It like, couldn't have been super fast. You know. Yeah, but like, was it was it twenty months in advance? Right. That's like, who who can tell? Yeah, yeah. You know, we are going to be doing next time issues three ninety seven through four oh five, three ninety seven through four oh five, and then there will only be eleven issues of Good this comic. God. And and a bunch of annuals. I should I should add right, that. Right, 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 right. But um, yeah, there's there's yeah, it's, it, there's we're getting near the end, Jeff. We're getting. <sighs> Very, very near the end. No one gets out alive, Graham. That's what I've learned. <laughs> Are you just going to appear like flaming in front of <laughs> the apparition? <laughs> you must reread them. You missed something. Graham's like, fuck that. There's <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> Again, part of me is like, I'm for. I'm actually convinced. I'm like, this is some Sue from some other place where she got Johnny's powers. That's why she's on fire. Like I'm like, hmm. eh. well, who knows? Like I said, I, I like I told you, I think uh, I've not read these, which is great. I have to say, Graham, no offense, but it is it is. Great yeah, I, I to... can't even like I can't even hint. I know. I, I, I genuinely don't know what's coming up, and that's actually it's made me enthusiastic. It's maybe a bit strong, but it's made me more into like the next couple of episodes. I get it. Mean? Like, yeah, I, totally. Yeah. I do too, because I can like throw these theories around and not have the usual Graham McMillan. Well, you'd think that, Jeff, exactly. but you'd be well, wrong. But, but here's the thing: in every single case, you've your theory has always been maybe this will mean something, and I've been like, nah. So I I feel fairly confident that that's still going to be the case. Yeah, I think so too. What are they doing here? It might turn out to be really exciting. Nah, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen at all, which is why you should join us next time, everyone, because we're selling this so strongly. We are going to be back in a month. Yeah. But before then, we have to do the normal outro thing. There are going to be show notes for this up. Who knows? At some point on the Monday. Look, time is is a relative concept, people. That's all I can tell you. Um, At waitwellpodcast.com. We have an Instagram instagram.com forward slash waitwhatpod we have a tumblr account waitwhatpods.tumblr.com and we have a twitter account at waitwhatpodcast jeff has a twitter account at lazybastid at l-a-z-y-b-a-s-t-i-d and i have a twitter account at graham m at g-r-a-e-m-e-m we have a patreon account and that's the entire reason the baxter building exists jeffrey tell everyone about it hey everyone i'm here to tell you about patreon Uh, And in the process, thank all of our wonderful listeners. You guys managed to keep us sort of motivated and inspired, not just as we tromp through the swamps of the DeFalco run of Fantastic Four, but also, you know, to keep us um, motivated to keep reading comics and keep coming up with new things to try and talk to each other about and to tell you about. So we're grateful to everyone's support. But 
we should give a special shout out to the fine folks of Patreon who throw a little bit more of their Nathaniel Richards dollars, as I believe they're known in the universe next door, uh, to us to continue to keep us. What a horrifying thought. <laughs> Nathaniel Richard dollars like, oh, no, he's on the five. Oh. Um, we should also thank uh, the kind crew at American Ninth Art Studios as well as Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy, to whom we are especially grateful for their continuing support of this podcast and making all of this possible. But please don't hold it against them because really, DeFalco on Fantastic Four is not anything anyone could have really prepared for. Graham? <laughs> Well, to be fair, everyone could have prepared for it. These comics are 20 years old. <laughs> I'm I'm refusing to, like, again, we can't go into the past and change time, Graham. Yeah, we don't we're, have to yeah, work in time Yeah, where's our slide. time slide? Yeah, right? exactly. That'd actually be a great final episode We where we do the time sled, where we, after we read all these, the wrap-up for 416 is we can turn around and try and plot out how we would have the Fantastic Four go differently. That lack of noise is me going, huh, that's not the worst idea in the world. <laughs> we'll, we'll see if that happens, ladies and gentlemen. But instead, because it's Baxter Building, Jeff is going to sing us out. Oh, I will indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We'll see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter Building.